0: Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
2: Good morning and welcome to Greenwash, the first show of 2024. I'm Jaspreet Boparai here with my co-host Don Nicholson and it is good to be back.
3: It's great to be back, gee, it seems like we've had far too um, many days off and of course, you uh, probably leading up to Christmas last year, we thought we needed some days off, but you know what? for an old guy, you sort of lose your form, you need to keep keep on message in volume over time. so it's great to be back and I'm looking forward to, you know unbundling quite a few of the things we started to unbundle last year because nothing's changed over the Christmas break. the same problems exist, but we'll try and bring a bit of a bit of our taste to uh, or touch to the to the case this year. Yeah. What do you think 20. that would look like? What do you think
2: that will look like? What would that look like? I I think we need to really keep going on about you know you've always totally done on on message over time and volume and that's what we need to do because uh, I've had quite some time to get into reading and you know a whole lot of reading over summer stuff that I was not being able to get time for and you know really get my teeth into. I've had a chance to look at quite a few. Of the going on overseas, the substacks I follow, and boy, it does confirm we are on the right track. There's a right. reason we've been doing this, and um, it ain't over.
3: The the things that you and I have talked about in the last twelve months um, or so have been right on message for the truth seeker and seeker side of life uh you can talk about the far left and uh, the far left gets all the um, media traction possible and they're very well organized but we are doing a vital job part of the vital job of rcr is to um expose this stuff and we're doing our part jazz as are all our other hosts and gee it's been great to listen to the replays um from uh, the likes of Paul Brennan's Breakfasts and, and Peter Williams and other shows, Rodney's and uh, Natalie's and Marie's. It's been great. I mean, I sometimes I think I've listened to those interviews, but you replay them and you think, gee, I missed that. It's great, yeah. great stuff. And so um, big ups to the RCR team for working um, over Christmas and putting all those uh, replays together and making them in some sort of order that sort of enthused people. Um yeah, yeah, by having them in, in sort of uh, an erratic but organized way. It was good. It was good. It
2: was good, you know, between the mini bites and all. I, I we can't fault the back office, everyone who's at the back end working away. And uh, I even listened to some of our old interviews, John, you know? Yes, yes, <laughs> we've had on. and boy, there's been a, there's been a lot there. And none of that has changed. None of, None it has of changed. that has changed. If there's one thing that each time it brings to me when I listen to something, and it sounds almost pompous when I say that, but are not something that you and I discussed even a year ago. It tells me we're on we're on the right track.
3: Yes, and, and we are on the right track, and I know that does sound a little pompous, but and we are in a minority. But when we, our job is to awaken uh, more of the minority. That's our job, um, and you know. It doesn't take much to swing the, the country, really. I I heard a um a left of center commentator on Radio New Zealand talk about how three percent is all it takes to swing a nation. And I you know, without going into that deeply, it does seem about right. You think of our national elections last year, it it's it's fought around that three to five percent area. Um
2: yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what
3: swings the tide and the tide is the tide has turned uh, a lot. Um, the hundred days is it up yet the first hundred days of the new government uh probably not isn't. quite
2: not quite yeah we're not yeah. quite but we're, we're getting there but yeah the tide <laughs> when you say you know it doesn't take a lot I go back to the words of Samuel Adams uh, the, he said and this was nearly 300 years ago that it doesn't take a majority to prevail. All it takes is, is an irate, tireless minority bent on setting bushfires of freedom in the minds of men. That stands mm-hmm. true.
3: It does stand true. And see, listeners, there's Jaspreet, just immediately comes up with a line or two, uh, a quote. Um, how did she do that? I don't know. It drives me nuts it, it just able t- to t- research t- things.
2: It just tells <laughs> you, you know, i don't have a very interesting life
3: <laughs> <laughs> right at her fingertips there it was right at her fingertips but just as an aside going back to rcr it is good to um have the rcr bites back and and force uh, so yeah. to find you know I'd, I'd recommend that listeners that aren't signed up to that get on the uh be be part of the foundation club and log in and get the um rcr bites I
2: Absolutely. Think that's how you have to do it yes and uh, Yes. Joining the Foundation Club, if you are not in it yet, this is a shameless plug. If you you know, have, want to have the Morning Bites, which are those mini curated news headlines that matter to you and me, sign up. That's the first email I check every morning. Any feedback, of course, Dawn and I, bookies and Brickbats, are very welcome at 2057. oral our email ID remains inbox at the rate radio.
3: Yeah. So, look, um, what's what's that going to be our strategy for this year? I mean, we do probably need to jazz it up a little bit around the around the fringes. We have some great guests, but you know, we need to probably sort of direct our energies on something. Is it? What are we going to talk about? Defunding things, or, or who are we going to expose the most this year? You yeah.
2: Know what this article? Do I even call it an article? This opinion piece that Baron Clark did on Greenwatch. Uh, earlier in January, oh. it, 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 it gave me an idea because uh, for anyone who didn't uh, listen to that or didn't read that one, this came on the spin-off Fear of a 15-Minute City on the 18th of January. And uh, they are Byron Clark. He wrote this articles, uh, and he began with talking about Jill and me and what we discussed on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And he said that skepticism of the United Nations has been a mainstay of conspiracy theorists thinking for almost as long as the, you know, as long as time has been, we've always been saying that. But what he specifically referred to was a quote that I have used, that I think democracy is being outsourced one consultant one NGO, one non governmental organization at a time, and uh, I must thank Baron Clark for using that quote. I'd almost forgotten that I'd said that. And uh, what do you think? Can we well, run with that one?
3: I think it's I, a gold gold plated um, statement. I think it's fantastic, and uh, the fact that he's reinforced it is is great. You know, it's. I think he's done you a favour.
2: Yeah. So he says, you know. I often think democracy is being outsourced. Boparai said recently, one consultant, one NGO, one unelected, unaccounted consultant at a time. And yeah, I do agree. So maybe, you know, so many of us think whenever there's something wrong, something's off. Yeah, go to your council, go to your MP or so on. We don't look at these quasi-government outfits, these non-governmental organizations that are pretty much ruling the roost here. So what do you think, uh,
3: Don? What did you? We sort of strategized a little bit about what NGO stands for, uh, other than what they think it stands for. And I think we came up with neo. What was it? Liberal. Neoliberal, grifters. Order. Uh, order. Yeah. It, neo- it has a, it has a ring a, about it. It has, a, it has a. It's a bit long. We should shorten it up. I think we should shorten it up. And this is just an, an, an off-the-cuff <laughs> strategy session going on here, listeners. <laughs> I think we should have the. Uh, greenwash grifter of the week show. What do you think, Jasper?
2: Sounds like a plan. Don
3: sounds grifter like a plan or
2: grift. Anything up to it, because there's certainly a whole lot of funding that's going down this route. Yeah, and people don't see that—that that there is other organisations who you never elected, who never, yeah. who never even you know face you at any forum, and they are the ones directing your lives.
3: Yeah. And if you look back a hundred years and you look at the meaning of grift and graft, um, you don't see a whole lot of, um, why, you know, there's not a wide range of meaning, but now we do call those who grift are basically the people that are infiltrating people's businesses and taxes and taking their, taking their earnings, ingratiating themselves and um, nothing to do with the marketplace at all. It's just all about self, selfishness really. And it's endemic in our society. It is endemic. It is right down to your local levels, uh, even into your community boards. It will be there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I read somewhere that New Zealand, for the size of the country we are, we have something like one hundred twenty thousand plus of, of these non-governmental organisations, these NGOs.
3: Yes, and I think uh, Tom Dewes mentioned in our interview that we are going to play later. 20,000 worldwide, and I thought he was understating it when he said that. When Uh, we've got so many,
2: he was speaking to the ones that are affiliated with the United Nations because the UN has its own affiliated, Uh, uh, you know, NGOs, right? But New Zealand alone has 120,000 plus. Mm. I mean, if you come down to it, that's um, one for less than 50 Kiwis. How many do gooding organizations do we need? So, yep, I might have to thank Byron for that one. A we might start doing NGO of the week or yeah, the grifters versus the grafters. Let us know, listeners. What do you what do you think? What would you like to listen to this year? Because I know Don well, and I we speak about climate and greenwashing, and that is going to continue. That is going to continue. But what else would you like us to highlight? We are very open to discussions. It's just beginning the season, 2057. Text us, please.
3: And I think um perhaps we should have another uh, go at something like peak absurdity of the week. Um, And, you know, there is lots of that. You and I both read lots of substacks and lots of um, output from around the world, and there's always something that is so absurd you would wonder how it ever got there. And the one this week Mm -hmm. was, (laughs) wasn't James Bond 007. (laughs) Tell (laughs) tell us about it. Uh, It wasn't me on the uh, local beach in my Speedos. Uh,
2: Nope. Nope, it sure wasn't. It was uh, Bonds and Bonds having, I mean, if anyone saw this article, uh, News Hub tried to, I think, gaslight us further saying that Bonds faces backlash for using non-binary model with beard in campaign for their new pride collection. But what Bonds did was, it had a model, Mikey, who this paper tells me, stands at two meters tall, supports facial hair, uses they, them pronouns, modeling the retro uh, rib-seamless tonal high bikini with a brassiere. So this is a guy, when you look at it, who was modeling this. And the outlash on social media was immediate. And what have you come to as a country? That, for me, has to be the peak absurdity so far. I mean, the year is just beginning.
3: I think you're envisaging me in the same same sort of garb. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't, don't let's not even go there, Don. The mind boggles with the possibility. Well,
3: I was 67 yesterday, so God help me. I, I just got to put it all out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is it, did they not learn anything, these outfits? Look, Bud Light lost, what was it, 1.4 billion US or was it 14 billion? There was some huge number they, um, they lost off their market capitalization when they did this stupid, woke um, stuff around their, their advertising for beer. What the hell are Bond thinking of here?
2: I mean, I agree with this person who commented there on uh, the reviews saying that for the Pride Collection 2024, Bond's decided that the best model for their women's underwear is a man with they-them pronouns, a full beard, everything. Mm.
3: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I used to have some bonds in the in the drawer, but maybe I need to just dispense with the bonds.
2: Dispense with the bonds. Yep, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> there is many other brands oh. available, but God, you're not going to see me buying one. And I think all I ever bought was uh, onesies for my children. A couple of times, I was sure. gifted some, gifted some, you know, baby showers and all. I don't think right. I bought bonds myself, but. Yeah, this is this has to be peak absurdity of the the
3: week. So, so, yep, peak absurdity of the week. There we go. We're going to do that, and we're going to have the uh, um, green washed grifter of the week. Yeah, there's two two concepts that just we just winged it, and there it is.
2: Yeah, we've be spoiled for choice, Don. There is so much, pretty much every day one comes across something you shake your head, and yeah, next day you think you've scraped the bottom of the barrel, and there it comes again. But yeah. uh, this uh, weekend just gone has also been a busy one with petrol heads around in Chicago.
3: Oh, absolutely. And uh, finishing today, so uh yeah you know, the well, we'll have our city back, but um yeah, all those motorbikes came down for the Bert Monroe uh, extravaganza that they have every weekend. Yeah, they managed to get wet because it hasn't the El Nino hit the south coast this last <laughs> fortnight. Oh, it's been an awful summer so far. Uh so what Auckland got last year, we're getting this year. Uh seems to rain every day on the coast, doesn't it?
2: And we but had yeah, that's, CO2, that's
3: CO2. That's mm-hmm. CO2 belching into the and uh, the greening of the atmosphere here, uh, of the of the uh parks and the reserves around Invercargill. Fantastic.
2: With the petrol heads here, yep. But uh I was watching Ken Ring uh on his Facebook uh Page he had predicted this for Southland early in December. I've also listened to Kendring, I think, with Paul Brennan. Yes. Oh, um, I might be mistaken here. Was he with Rodney Hyde? But I've listened to Ken Ken Kendring, and uh, he has been absolutely on the money, the the Moonman has, both with the timing of the hail early in January and the rains to follow in Feb.
3: Yes, he was. I, I watched or read that same article, and I thought, I've banked that. And I thought, gee, early Feb, we'd better be careful. And sure enough, we've had a thrashing. But nothing compared to California. They've been having atmospheric rivers hitting us, uh, <laughs> California, uh, Los Angeles and um, San Francisco. So, yeah, those atmospheric rivers, they move around.
2: I know. And some places in yeah. the U.S. are really cold, but I'm told it's cold because it's hot. Because... When it gets too hot, the cold gets colder. Is that that what it
3: is?
2: (laughs) When the hot gets hotter, the cold gets colder.
3: It's it's the weather. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, so after the break, we're going to have um, John Pemberton on. And John Pemberton is uh, running Ag Proud himself with some other guys. And they are running a concept this week at the local Ag Field Days. Uh, They're going to relaunch the National uh, Land Day. So we're going to have him on and we're going to talk about that and um, and play, play it by ear. But uh, what John's got to say, uh, who knows, it probably is about how the first shipment of lamb left New Zealand at about 1880 and right now lamb's in the doldrums. I hope he's got a miracle cure for elevating the price of lamb rather than it being a lost leader in our supermarkets.
2: Yes, and I'm looking forward to this one. And after that, listeners, we have got two of our uh, previous guests coming back on. We have... Uh, Tom Deweese from the American Policy Center, the president of the American Policy Center, gracing us for the second time with his presence on Greenwashed. And we'll also have the Joss Ubels, who we've had on, I believe, last September, again, yeah. back from Holland, about the state of farming and what's going on yeah. there. So sit back and enjoy. And uh, as Don and I get back into the thick of things after having a bit of a summer breakaway, which was not a summer in Southland, I might assure you. So we'll see you in a moment. Jaspreet Bopperai, and Don
0: Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Thanks for tuning
4: in
1: to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us
3: now. We welcome to RCI Greenwashed, John Pemberton, who is ag-proud uh, chairman from uh, a farm not far from me. He, he's in eastern Southland, and his um, big mission at the moment is to really talk about the lamb and sheep meat industry of New Zealand and celebrate it. And John, welcome to RCR Greenwashed. What is your concept? You've got a fair bit on this following the week from now, um, through, through the field days and uh, National Lamb Day. Tell us about it.
5: Yeah, how you Um, Yeah, National Lamb Day. Look, um, the, the team at Ag Proud have been sort of mulling on for for the last couple of years. Um, you know, we, we were doing barbecues and getting really good connections through the country and then we had COVID lockdowns and such like, so it became a bit of a logistical nightmare. And anyhow, um, we've done the, the fruit run um, in between lockdowns that have gone really mm. well, um, supporting the the processing staff that that kept the um, plants going, Um through those times that you know really took the pressure off farms, it was enabled, enabled us to get milk and um, animals off farms. So, just want to share appreciation on that, and it was a, that was a pretty awesome thing to be a part of. Um, and anyhow, we're trying to work through how do we celebrate agriculture, food, and fibre in a way that everyone can be involved, nobody's gets their toes stepped on, and it provides a platform of positivity. So, we approached. Um, Beef and lamb prior to Christmas, maybe October, um, National Lamb Day was currently being held on the 24th of May, which is when the, the first shipment, um, which had mutton and it also had um, uh, a little bit of dairy out of and actually on it too, a little bit of butter, arrived in London and whilst that's a momentous occasion rather cold time here to get the barbie out and throw some chops on. Um, now, the Australians have done a really good job on this, and I'm, and I'm not ashamed to say we are imitating them a bit, I do believe we can do it better. So we we suggested maybe we could shift this back to the 15th of February, um, when the ship left Dunedin, mm-hmm. which has coincided with the National... Uh, the Sorry, the Southern Field Days as well, which has had four years of not operating it through, through the lockdowns and such like. And so... Um, They've got on board, and we've got – so we're doing a massive launch um, next week at the Southern Field Days with um, um, barbecues pretty much open to the public. Um, Just, you know, we're in a high-traffic area, so we want anyone that's um, at the Field Days on the Thursday to come and grab a chop. We've got um, local chefs, Ethan Flack, such like, um, showing showcasing what can be done. Um, So that's going to be pretty cool. And we've also got Jay and Dunk from the Rock radio station coming down. Um, and they're actually doing quite a big lead-up to this starting from today. Um, so we're, we're trying to build a day that um, eventually has its own oxygen. It's not requiring egg Proud um, to to activate it like we have. Um, we've got beef and lamb on board. They've been fantastic. E- FMG and um, um, the Porto Cargo have come in and sponsored this, but we're just making it very clear that this is a this is day for New Zealand to celebrate food and fibre, and it's from the paddock to the plate. it's 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 really enjoying the the um, the experiences we can give the customer. And if we can lift some domestic sales out of this, I think um, you know it would be a great spin-off mm. as well, because you know there's some challenging times ahead. We don't want to dwell on that though. We just want to make sure that um, you know some uplifting experiences that this can bring. and and I think the sector is ready for some of that. So yeah, that's pretty much all we're trying to achieve. there's nothing really complicated about it and i think just the fact that so many people have got on board shows um how people are just really want to enjoy the day so going right up right way back to
3: 1882 uh on to today 142 years uh Mm -hmm. basically it was the genesis of a better new zealand wasn't it the export uh, of frozen um, lamb and mutton and other products around the world opened up the New Zealand economy to a whole lot of good better times better times so you know it does need to be celebrated and revered um so great that you're doing it what's uh what's uh, your role on this from uh, an ag proud proud uh perspective in the next year or two what do you see this uh you, you mentioned you may want to pull back but I imagine this is going to grow like topsy John
5: yeah, and look, I think at a governance role, prop Proud might have a role sitting on maybe a driving committee made off of other parties for this. Um, but you know, this is Big Egg Proud, so we're just being very clear that if people want to get on board or got ideas or can see, if you know, where else we can take this, um, you know, get in touch because you know we're just really focusing on launching this this year um, and then seeing where we can get it to. And I know. And there's been a lot of high-level talk already um, uh, around, you know, how the p- campaign could look. So, look, the seventeenth of um, this month, we'll be talking about that. You know, that, that's 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 how focused we are on making sure this is a success. Well, fantastic. And, you know, uh, some of us do know what Australia's
3: done for about 20 years on this stuff. And, man, they put out some really cutting edge or edgy um, sort of video clips, especially with Sam uh, Kikovic. So, um, look, if you can emulate that and outdo the Aussies, uh, all power to your arm. And so um, is there any links you can give us that uh, our listeners may want to hook into? Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot, John. You may not have them at your disposal, but if you've got some.
5: Oh look, they they can they can visit the Egg Proud, and you'll see links there on our page, um,
0: mm-hmm.
5: um, and and that actually these t-shirts, um, there's t-shirts. There's the link there on that page for um, t-shirts, and it's also on our website, so eggproud.co.nz, um, and they are printed in Southland. Um, they're pretty prompt with their shipment, um, so it'll be great to see um, on the day. It'll be awesome to see people in the in the. Um, National Am Day T-shirt, and and people will see we've been quite specific on making sure that this is everybody's day. The only logo on the T-shirt is is a design that we've come up with, which we're happy for people share wide and far in the day. There's no um, license on that logo, so um, and and look, we the, the, the radio station. also running a competition around um, barbecue wins and that to enter that is on National Lamb Day. that They'll have a platform that you can put in social media posts of what you've got on your barbecue. And it doesn't have to be lamb. You know, we're just really focusing on food and fiber of New Zealand. Um, and if people could share that, hashtag National Lamb Day, you know, that, that's the involvement that we're looking forward to.
3: Well, we're we're doing uh well I'm happy to do a little bit to help your your cause and hopefully some of our listeners will go to the um to the website and 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 uh, study what's what's about their area in the future, and um, we wish you all the best. And um, I,
2: I do so- have one one question, uh, John. Yes. The, the T-shirts, you know, the merch that you're selling, it refers to uh, twelve dollars from every sale going to a charity. Who are you supporting?
5: Yes. Uh, so it, it, it comes to uh, a proud charity itself. So we're, right. we're a team of volunteers. Um, we obviously have urban AB overheads. AB, we've got to employ an urban person. Yep. Um, look, when we first set up beef and lamb and dairy and Z and all those groups sort of supported us in that role because right. they could see that the only one reconnecting town and country. Um, and yeah, no. So we sort of um, yeah, that wasn't the, the goal. wasn't to go out and, no, and no, try. No, and no, it just, read it it's not this. easy it's to just, run yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah, we're all volunteers giving our best. But, um, yeah, absolutely, the, the absolute support of that uh, $12 to our charities um, to, for us to operate as an, orga- an organisation is much appreciated.
2: No, absolutely, and can't think of a better time for uh, urban New Zealand, especially to get behind rural New Zealand. Times have not been easy, and all part to year round. Thank you so much for coming on RCR Greenwash this morning, John. All the best. Thank you,
4: Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward app our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything from listening to our live broadcast downloading some of our incredible interviews and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app
3: so get listening and download the rcr app now welcome back i hope you enjoyed that little skit from sam kakovich uh, the australian lamb day um, raconteur he's a hard case and he's put out a whole lot of stuff in the last 20 years so I hope uh, AG proud and their team with beef and lamb New Zealand can really emulate what the Australians have done and you know get the lamb chop back on the Barbie here in a big way um just uh, I appreciate it. I,
2: yeah
3: yeah I was having a bit of thought about that uh just in the break and um I've uh, I reckon I've had raised close to 80 to a hundred thousand lambs and there's a fair few chops in that number of lambs when you analyze it but I dare oh. say I'm not I'm not helping the vegan vegan people of the world, uh, day am I? If there's anyone listening that's uh, of that persuasion, you're probably ready to throw something at the at the radio. But um, uh, interestingly, I laughed a few weeks ago. I watched a YouTube clip from yeah you know, the unfortunate um, flooding incidents around Mount Isa in Australia, and there was a hard case mine worker went down the aisles of the supermarket, passed the vegetables, all oh, cleaned out past the bread cleaned out
2: mm-hmm, past, the, that one.
3: past all the meat yeah the red meat and uh, processed meat um bays all sold out but where was that there was lonely little bay left that was full and it was all the plant-based foods um meats and things so um it was very funny now i know i'm a red-blooded kiwi and i love red meat so um
2: that, well, I remember I'll, that I'll one. Be- there was this bearded guy. He was on yeah. ABC and all the other yeah.
3: Facebook pages. Yep. It's so funny. So it says yeah. it all. It says it all. But, oh, look, uh, the, the world farmers have had a bit of a, a rough time in recent months, haven't they? And we've interviewed from the Dutch Farmers Defence Force, Jos Ubels again. We'll play him a bit later. But he was um, putting up some pretty big warnings. He was very concerned, I have to I recall, that... Uh, the French farmers were getting a bit out there, a bit um sort of boisterous in their process, too stroppy. Mm-hmm. But he went and put up the case that um, well privately he said to us perhaps off-air, mm-hmm. that there was a there was a thought that they would mobilize all of the EU farmers from the far east of the European Union to all converge on Brussels on the fourth of June.
2: They're and that, that,
3: and I think that coincides with some elections around the European Commission, so or European Parliament. So, boy, the threat of that has uh, had some ramifications, hasn't it? It looks like uh, there's been yeah. a bit of a backdown.
2: So, listeners, Don and I, we spoke to Jos Ubel's uh, about a week ago. Got him one evening just after work, and a lot can change in a week. That's what I have learned. A lot can change in a week, and it has. There has been some of the rolling back of, uh, you know, the fact like dropping the 30% reduction targets and emissions in farming, reversing the restriction in pesticides usage that was going to be put on, allowing more land, opening more land for farming and so on. So there's been some positive signs I am a cynical person. <laughs> I I am cynical, and I I cannot let go of that uh, bent of my nature. So there's there's more here. But boy, this summer or whatever of summer we had in Southland, uh, Europe's been on the move. It's been mobilized like never before in the depths of their winter, and we could certainly learn a thing or two from those farmers out there for protesting. Literally every country from Wales, uh, Ireland. You had Dutch, French, Italians, who literally there was nobody who was not, Romanians, that was not in the news, but I had... Even
3: right over to Lithuania, even. So right east, the far eastern side of it. So, yep, all involved. And and if they were to merge their resources, and and I imagine there's a bit of tension in regards Mm -hmm. all of them because they're all worried about cross-border trade and unfair trade, um, but if they were to merge resources and, and really go after Brussels um, and they, they're talking about it, um, that's that's big ticket. Now, what's the common denominator in all of this for? And what's the commonality with New Zealand and Europe? Because, you know, as we've talked about before, they have a lot of privilege. They have a lot of subsidy. The common denominator is the food producers have had guts full of being pushed into a corner by the regulators, no matter which way you look. And there's a lot of people clipping the ticket adding no value to the farmer, but adding a whole lot of cost to the consumers. and uh, I think I think uh, the pointy end is where we're at, and it's a good
2: thing it is it is things have to come but, to a head before stuff gets sorted but and, it, it, uh, yeah I am glad that these farmers came together. There's obviously going to be a rolling back of you know their level of agitation now, but one must not forget that in the same period, 18th of January, Towards EU climate neutrality, gaps and opportunities, this report was released by the European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change. And it has a few things that would be worrying farmers, that should be worrying, in fact, everyone who eats, which is all of us, that things are not 100% rolled back. They talk about, in this report, they talk about the ambitions that Europe has to be the first Carbon neutral continent. Mm-hmm. this level of collectivization down I mean carbon neutral continent, and it says it will be doing that by including by shifting support away from emissions intensive agricultural practices such as livestock production and moving towards lower emitting products and activities. So the threat is not completely gone, but good on these guys who got out there winter or no winter, and I know for some of them but they were carving right now they did what needed to be done.
3: They did. And, uh, yeah, yeah, as I said, uh, we like the thought that people are starting to stand up tall and defend farmers, uh, on matters of substance that do need, um, sort of some pushback and the emissions profiling of farms, the, uh, constant attack at farmers about you've got methane problems and you've got nitrous oxide problems, or you've got nitrate leaching, you've got, it's just never ending. And, um, A lot of it is uh, badly founded, yet the narrative has been so well organised against the farming fraternity that we've had 25 years of what is, you'd almost call it a psychological operation against us. And a lot of farmers have bought into it. Well, I haven't, and I don't intend to. And this show, I hope, can constantly put the truth in front of uh, our, our listeners, and hopefully it'll emanate, but out a bit further, dissipate, sorry, out a bit further. The narrow net zero watch um, pages is what I read a lot of. And man, when you read that, there is a lot of stuff happening in this net zero space that's that's just all falling away. doesn't matter whether it's heat pumps in the UK as opposed to gas, uh, electric vehicles in California or the UK, all these things are having, so to speak, the wheels fall off. Um, uh, and I think uh, finally the net zero nonsense is coming home too to roost, and hopefully it happens in New Zealand.
2: Yeah. And Urban New Zealand, we've not forgotten you. Listeners, there is a whole lot that's afoot for us. But keen keen watchers, people who watch their emails, would have seen an email drop-in by RCR Bytes. If you're not a Foundation Club member, time to join now. Yet another shameless plug, please. That Suncorp, that's a big insurer, has told the New Zealand government that there's been a step change in global insurances, insurers' attitudes towards New Zealand. Suncorp has advised in a submission to New Zealand Parliament's inquiry earlier this year that New Zealand now no longer presents just a significant earthquake risk. It also presents a significant weather risk to insurers and massive natural disasters are, you know, threatening to send insurers' break. Suncorp warned, this is a, private insurer, warning New Zealand, New Zealand government, it warned that it must take action to mitigate or reduce its exposure to risk or otherwise, you know, there are going to be people whose either insurances are going to rise very high or they just might be unable to secure insurance any any further. And, I mean, Don, you've mentioned you've seen a big rise in your insurance bill. I know I've seen big rises, both in our farm ones and others. But what are these guys going to do? It almost seems like the perfect storm. Are these insurers now going to come to us and say, well, you know, we want to insure you there around the coast. And 65% of New Zealand lives within five kilometers of some of the other coast. But if you are in this nice 15-minute mm-hmm. city, it's all yours. Chief is ship's Insurance. <laughs> I just feel like there's a perfect storm brewing, perfect storm brewing here. We have bankers, we have insurers, we have government, we have environmental planners and we have academia all closing in here.
3: And would you not uh, put them in an amalgam and call them the uh, super grifters of the week, the greenwash grifters of the week? That's where I'd put them, all in that box, all in that same box.
2: They they know what they are doing. These, they do. Lot. They know completely what they are doing. But I, I have to thank, you know, Baron Clark. Fear of a 15 minute city? Well, if you want cheap insurance, some people might love to live in a 15 minute city. But uh, next week, we don't have time uh, this time around, but next week on, Don and I are going to focus on one each time on one particular of these NGOs or these quasi government organizations that seem to think they can dictate terms to us. And we might focus on someone who has been doing a whole lot of sea level rise modeling across the world you know we hear of uh one world government how about one world co- contractors one world modelers <laughs> we do have ipcc but there's private players here who are right now in every level of new zealand government and the private sector
3: there's there's a whole lot of them um there's just not one uh, yeah there's a lot of people playing in the space and i I think what you think what you're hitting at. Too with mm. um, There's there's dominance uh, developing with certain key players here, but yeah, there's some big names. There's some there, big, there's names, some big yeah. names.
2: People have always, uh, you know, the big four are the big accounting firms. There is big mm. contracting firms. There's ones like you have Becca, WSP, Oricon, Wealth, Jacobs, and a whole lot of others. But we'll we'll focus on one of them next mm. time around, and perhaps we can see the pattern of what's brewing. Who is yeah. the common messenger of doom here? <laughs> and
3: talking about um that i've got a wee uh ditty that i'd like to share with people for the for the sort of as we close um mm-hmm. i couldn't get over one um national party a new mp's maiden speech this week grant mccallum from the far north uh, who represents the national party up there he might as well have put up his name for to be the leader of the green party he spoke like James Shaw that New Zealand farmers just have to do all well, this uh, emissions profiling and get get it sorted because our markets are going to pay us more effectively. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Mm. And I thought the only person that I've heard that for, from consistently in the last 10 years is James Shaw. So Quantify National...
2: that for me. Quantify that market uh, premium for me.
3: So we've got to watch Mr. McCallum's uh Blue green uh, emphasis like a hawk, I think. But that was his maiden speech, so we'll cut him some slack. But it was getting close to that gall of the week type. Uh, he had more <laughs> gall than most, I would have thought.
2: Oh, God. To yes. say that.
3: Yeah, to say yeah. that.
2: Anyway. Uh, another another uh, article that, I mean, this development, uh, Don, that seven super polluters are now going to be taken mm. to court. Oh, God. How yeah. did we get to that stage?
3: How could a Supreme Court? Just do that. I mean, what do you I read? The conclusion of that, it's, it's I, I think we might need it's to expand hollow.
2: a bit more on that, Don, for uh, our audience.
3: Yeah, well, the seven, um, Mike Smith, uh, from I'm not sure his affiliation, uh, one of the Maori organizations up north, um, has taken uh, a case against the seven, what he calls, largest polluters in New Zealand. Well, that's a definition that he's made them, um, mm. uh, given because. Them. But, but the Supreme Court, he, under appeal, he got it back to the Supreme Court and is now going to have his case heard. And I'm not sure what science he's using, but um, if the judge suggests that um, feelings and culture come into the scientific modelling, uh, which it appears by the conclusion that, yeah, that might be allowed, then we are doomed, Jasper. Um, so look, I hope the common sense prevails, but he's having his day in the sun, but uh, I hope the seven big corporations that he's talking about, don't fall into the trap.
2: Um, yes, I mean, we now have an EV leader, Mike Smith, that Don mentioned climate activist of Napui and natka who, descend, who says that the group including Fonterra, Z Energy and Genesis which together make a third of New Zealand's emissions have a legal duty to him and a sacred duty to protect and I quote the future for our children and grandchildren and the generations yet to be born and they need to either start either stop completely stop operations or bring down emissions quickly no one seems to question the fact that how does CO2, how does the, because obviously most of these times the people refer to emissions, they're referring to carbon dioxide. It yep. is not a pollutant, Mr. Smith.
3: It's, it's such a minute trace gas. It's unbelievable. Something that's so beneficial and something that if we don't exhale it, we're dead. I mean, I don't get it with these people. They call it a pollutant. Uh, what, what is their end game? And, uh, And, you know, what part of the destruction of the New Zealand economy and our way of life do they want to uh, have their say over? I mean, it's just, it's wearisome. But they've been given air for 25 years, these people. They've been given air. CO2 is a pollutant. And they have this uh, bad habit of calling it a carbon pollution. They have that bad habit. They're telling lies right at that point.
2: Carbon dioxide. And then... I mean, let's not even go into the chemistry of that that molecule. But yeah, this is this is what's going on. So if this is just a cautionary tale here, if you think what's going on in Europe is going to be restricted to those shores, be it mass migration or be it environmental hysteria or be it you know your sea level rise modelling, we have another thing coming, New Zealand. But yeah. for now, before uh, before Dor and I head off for this first show, and not to get it. into the doom and gloom scenario, it's worth listening to our next interview with Joss Ubels. As I said earlier, please keep in mind, we spoke to Joss about a week ago when you managed to get some time from him. And things have changed. A lot has changed in the EU in a week. But uh, an eye on whatever the European regulator is doing. But Joss certainly puts it out there that the farmers in Europe are now aware of what they are fighting. And the fact that so many countries came together, I find it very, very hopeful, very encouraging. I certainly spent a lot of time over summer looking at the reels and Facebook posts and videos of all of this, what was happening. So sit back and enjoy. And after that, we have Tom DeWeese, the president of the American Policy Center, coming back on RCR after a hiatus of nearly 10 months and uh, to talk about what's happening in the U.S., the nonsense from carbon capture pipelines to what he terms as an invasion of undocumented migrants across the southern border, all of this. So that's in the rest of the show this morning. But for now, Don and I will sign off, and we hope to see you again next week. And thank you so much for joining us on Greenwashed again. Please send us through any feedback of how you would, what uh, stuff you would like to listen more to. This year, I right do We're very open to suggestions.
3: Open to suggestions. Uh, suggestions. We've had a lot of um, good people on the last twelve months, but man, um, yeah, you know, I, I pinch myself at some of the interviews we've done because yeah, you know, we've we've had to be a little brave, haven't we? A little bulgy to get some of these people.
2: Yes, we have. We have. Uh, I, I so, pinch myself as well to think yeah. that I'm talking to some of these folks who, some of them I've been following for years, reading their stuff, their output. So it's, yeah. it's been brilliant all along.
3: But- perhaps they perhaps they like the thought that they're um, speaking to people at 40, 47 South actually um, yeah who is close to the Antarctic as possible almost uh, yeah. perhaps they think that's unique so long yeah. may they do it
2: absolutely so sit back and enjoy listen to Jos uh, honey and uh, Tom Dewis twenty fifty seven is our number or email us at inbox at the rate reality
0: radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.
3: And today we welcome back to Greenwashed uh, Jos Ubalz, the Farmer Defence Force Vice President in the Netherlands. We um, had him on late September last year and we forget with all that's going on in Europe, that's not being talked about in New Zealand's mainstream media. We needed to get um, Jos back to talk about what's happening over there. But first of all, welcome back, Jos. Great to have you. How's your day been and what is a standard day for you down on the farm before you get out and do your farmer advocacy work?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, I'm very happy to be on the show again. Last uh, last time was a very nice show and I uh, appreciate uh, you reaching out for Europe. Um, and I think it's very important that all the farmers around the world are seeing what's going down right now in Europe because it's coming everywhere and uh, it's a it's a very awful situation for a lot of farmers here. Yeah, what, what, what does my day look like? Well, uh, you're correct. I am advocacy for farmers, so uh, I have a lot of different schedules than normal farmers. But um, I'm lucky that um, the most of my days are pretty usual as a farmer so i started in the morning this morning i started with loading bulls for the slaughterhouse so i load them at uh, uh like um, 30 minutes past five so in the morning and then i started the tractor started feeding um i do my feeding rounds it cost me till like eight or nine o'clock then i drink a coffee with my mom and dad uh, they live close to the farm and then I continue my work on the farm by bedding and taking care of all the youngsters, the calves and everything. Um, I do inspections if they're still healthy, everything. And then um, I can proceed with uh, normal farm duty works. Yeah.
3: Right. So it uh, it sounds uh, sort of similar to what a New Zealand farmer would do, although you do quite a bit of indoor farming as well by, by the sound of it. So, look, similar, but on the other side of the planet. So. Go back to 2019 and the formation of the Farmers' Defence Force. Uh, What's been the uh, – and then the development of the BBB and the whole lot of different uh, aspects of of Dutch governance. What's been the growth in the Farmers' Defence Force and is it still managing to garner support, get donations, get funding and uh, grow in popularity?
4: Well, first of all, um, before 2019, the farmers in the Netherlands and uh, throughout Europe actually were uh, used to the fact that they were on constant pressure of society, but mostly of the politics and the media, that they should take care of their animals uh, better, that they should change their farm for the better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and farmers usually react on this um, because we are not ignorant to customers, yes? We, we understand yeah, that yeah. the customer base is changing and we want, we, we need to do something better. We, we try to do this. Uh, we are also uh, always in for changes if they are for the better. So uh, we did a lot, uh, but then suddenly after all the things we did in the Netherlands, we were in the top five of uh, environmental friendly and animal friendly uh, producers of the world. And then suddenly, some politicians said that we should cut 50% of our livestock in 2019. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of farmers couldn't believe their ears because they invested millions of euros in um, upgrading uh, the way they have their husbandry and their, their their farms. Um, and then suddenly, they have to cut 50% of their animals. It's, it's like saying to somebody that just built a new house with a new mortgage that they can only live with half of the family there. So it, it's stupid and it's really weird that they tried this on us, um, but it, actually it was at the moment pretty good because this politician, uh, he triggered some sort of reaction all out uh, uh, around the farmers. They they all stood up and said, okay, enough is enough. We did everything and we still are doing a lot, uh, but we, we wanna be treated correctly. Uh, you, you can't steal our, uh, our property or steal our way of living. So then uh, there was this base for a Farmers Defense Force. We were trying to protect farmers that got invaded by envi- environmental activists. And this was actually the spin-off. And later we have this huge protest uh, in Den Haag, the first one in uh, 2019, October. And uh, yeah, it was amazing that so many farmers took the took the effort to take their tractor to go to the center uh, city of, of, of the Netherlands. Um, yeah, some of them, uh, Amongst me, myself, I, I sat on the tractor for eight hours before I was there. Um, uh, but of course, for a farmer, eight hours on the tractor is nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, yeah, what can I say? It was a, it was a really busy period. And now we come into Calm Waters uh, uh, as as an organization because uh, Farmers Defense Force is an adult organization. Now we have good members. We have a good solid base. Um, we have everything uh, in, in order and we can we can do our normal tasks as a farmer's defense force. So this is successful. Um, but there is a lot going on um, in Europe now. The protests are uh, swelling and the protests are not only swelling, they are also getting pretty aggressive, mainly in France. There is, it's, it's extreme what the farmers are doing there. I understand them, but it, it's extreme.
2: It is. And, you know, we've spent this uh, summertime and we were on a hiatus on Reality Check Radio for six weeks. We spent the summer l- watching over, you know, YouTube or Facebook feeds, feeds from Europe, because our media out here has had a complete, pretty much a blanket uh, curtain on this that we are not covering this, almost pretending that there's there's nothing happening. And yet, when I look at feeds, I've, I've looked at a reel of yours that got 45,000 reactions and uh, talking about, of course, the old favorite, Klaus Schwab and other things. It is surreal to think that in this day and age, they actually, the media is believes that people are so stupid in this era of globalization that you don't know what's what's going on. And I am looking at the donations that have been pouring onto your uh, webpage, that is farmersdefenseforce.nl, and when the comments that people are putting on, with this is a 25 uh, euro donation, we the citizens are behind you en mass. The government has betrayed the country to the new world order. Press away to the end. The EU and the national policy must go. Are your are these farmers, or are your town people, are your urban Dutch people, are they supporting you? Are they seeing what's happening?
4: Yeah, well, the, of course they're seeing what's happening. Um, I think uh, um, the the numbers that support us
1: are huge. Yeah.
4: I think the only the only ones you can see that the, the elites that are sitting in in their offices in the Hague, the politicians, the heads of the media that get funded by uh, by the government with, um, for example, eight hundred million euro is uh, poured into one media uh, uh, company. By the government and this media company is uh, fully in favor of the government of course but um, people are getting sick and tired of this they say enough is enough and they support the farmers uh, fully you can see it not only on our website we can see this everywhere uh, there is a, a, an urge for change. You can see this also in, um, with the elections. Uh, people are choosing radically different than they chose ever before. There is no, no person in the Netherlands that voted for the same, same political parties as they did in the past. So they are, everything changes. And uh, we just had elections. And um, the biggest party in the Netherlands now is PVV. And is actually a, a right-wing party. Well, this is for Dutch standards, pretty, uh, pretty new. Mm. Um, yeah. It's ra- actually they're, they're they're not that radical, but of course they are way more radical than uh, the central parties that we have uh, have heard of before. Um, but you see that people are sick and tired of what's what's there now, so they just want change, they, they don't care what kind of change as long as it's change. Um, so this this is. Uh, um, this is weird. And, and I want to comment on the part that you say that the media is silent in, in New Zealand about what's going on here. But it's not only there. it's um, The media in the Netherlands is, is very, um, very good in showing only the, the small demos, uh, the big ones they try to evade, uh, to, to, to get out of their uh, pictures. And they, they do a lot about this. And even I spoke with our German colleagues that were on the streets the last weeks for uh, in huge numbers. One of their protests in one region was hundred thousand people, uh, farmers there with tractors. And uh, on the news you could see some of it, but not the huge amounts that were really there. And it appears that uh, you have the public traffic camps all through uh, all throughout Germany. You can uh, everybody can log in there and can see the traffic in Germany. Um, but uh, from the twenty-two of November or something like that. I'm not sure about the date. They turned out all traffic camps throughout Germany, so there is no public uh, allowed to see the traffic cam- cam- um, uh, camps in Germany because they are just blocked. Um, so this is a sign that they're trying to hide what's going on, and this is this is it's it's amazing that they do this because it's 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 just showing off how vulnerable we are as a as a community and how strong they think they are
3: well if it's any consolation um well it won't be uh new zealand in the last six years had a government that um instigated a concept called the public interest journalism fund (laughs) we thought we were screwed over at 55 million new zealand dollars and maybe quite a bit more but that's what we were told was 55 million um, I have a feeling it doubled, but you're talking 800 million euro to buy the media. Um, yeah, just
4: one, just one. Eh? It's just one media company, and they yeah. buy them, and and they, they speak just the language of the government, whatever they want, they they, they sell it to us.
3: Wow, look. Uh, so for our listeners in New Zealand, there you go. That that that's this this stuff doesn't end well. Um, you can't have that sort of bias going on, and of course. Jos, going back to your country, The Hague is sort of like the the epicenter of everything around um, the sort of policies that you're with, probably in sync with Brussels and and Strasbourg and, and others, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the European Commission, the European Union. Isn't it an arrogance, when I'm reading the OECD report um, on the Netherlands from August last year, that they say that Uh, For all the amalgamations, for all the consolidations of farming and horticulture in in the Netherlands, your your total um, factor productivity stats are not great. Now, for me, that says a whole lot about bureaucracy, not knowing much. Um, And, in fact, what it also says to me is that the bureaucrats are probably putting more pressure on the environment than anybody else, the the way they're feeding themselves, like the 800 million going into the journalism fund or the media, um, the feeding of the every bureaucrat in the Hague, the only way that gets paid for is by the use of the environment. So what's the pushback on bureaucracy? Um, The protests are big, but what is it are those people sitting in um in the in the boardroom chairs in The Hague taking any notice?
4: No, no, they're not. They're not. I, I don't know if this is ignorance or this is just um they are scared maybe to 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 ch- try to to, yeah, change for them. I don't know if it's even possible. You know, the people that are there, they are so woven into the system. They have uh, they have their contacts with the media. They have their um, they have their jobs. They have their side jobs. They have so many uh, things that are woven into the the system, and the system is corrupt, is broken. And uh, the only thing that can change that is change the people that are sitting there, and uh, then you can change the system from in.
3: And so, how's you're all involved in the European Union? It strikes me that. Uh, and I have written a uh, read of a concept called Nexit, where the Netherlands would pull out of uh, the European Union uh, or other countries are starting to get a bit uh, of the European Union, starting to get a bit antsy about it all. Are you, what's your feeling? Do you want to stay in the European Union? Uh, is it a benefit to you? Uh, is it uh, I know you've got um, a- agreements with the European Union and South American countries. Um, we have them with you as well. Uh is there, a, is there any sort of common ground here
4: well we, we are we are speaking about different things i think you you have of course we have the european union as as it is now and we have uh european trade mm. and of course european trade for farmers uh, especially for dutch farmers is very important we we do a lot of trade and i think it's healthy because you you should milk cows in regions where you can milk cows pretty good and should grow potatoes in regions where they are uh, where they grow well so it's not smart to do everything inside one region you should uh, you have to you need transport you need a trade this is normal but um, and it's also smart to make trade agreements because some of your trades are uh, not your best trades and some of them are very strong so if you make agreements with other countries you can interchange those uh, trades so it's not bad but It started to be stupid. Uh, They designed the European Union a long time ago and the plan was not bad because we're all small countries uh, with high standards and uh, the world is uh, changing rapidly around us. So uh, there is always a war uh, trying to be yeah, somewhere or starting to happen. So it, it's strong to bind, bind together, to 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 hold each other's hands in in, in this evil world. This is not stupid. Um, the stupid thing is that if you do something, you should do it all the way. If I pull my pants in the morning, I don't pull half a pants. I pull a full pants because otherwise it's stupid. So if you start the European Union from the beginning on, they said, okay, we will be a European Union, but all the members want their own... Uh, government they want their own everything so uh,
2: let's
4: let them be you know let them do their own thing let them have their own currency maybe later we can change this and uh, then suddenly uh, it appeared that if we have all a different financial system that we are not that strong together. So I think if they started European Union uh, in the beginning, they should said, okay, we need one financial system. We need, we are one union, we need one currency and one financial system. At the moment, we don't have one financial system, but we have almost one currency. So it, it's it's just, everything is done halfway. So uh, yeah, next hit, I'm not sure. It's a difficult question as a farmer because all the trades, but um my father always taught me you get you can make way more money if you sell one cow every day if you sell all the cows in one day so i think if you make several agreements uh with several countries you get better agreements than you do it in one package deal so there are pros and cons and to the consent hmm.
3: yeah so it, it's um it's a it's a vexed issue i know you have just listening to you jos um you have the same sort of issues we have in new zealand you've you've done all you can by answering the call to the environmentalism and the animal welfare uh, lobbies and the whole lot you've answered the call but it hasn't been good enough and it's the same here i mean in your country i think you get some payments to do it um in new zealand we get nothing but it's never good enough it's never good enough the 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 end of the road is never in sight. Um, you yeah. think you're just there and they find another way to tax and come at you and and undermine your confidence. And so same thing, different side of the planet, but with a different dynamic driving it. So can we just go back? Sorry, and that was a bit of a statement. Can we just go back? I want to hear a little bit more about your government change. I mean, Mark Rutter um, had, his, had his bum smacked and, and he was kicked a bit. Um What's he trying to do now? Is he trying to form a coalition uh, and retain his, his base or is Geert Wilders, um, is he absolutely in power and got a really strong coalition together?
4: Well, first of all, um, uh, I think that uh, Geert Wilders has a very strong position at the moment, uh, not only because he had he won the elections by far, But you're seeing now in uh, all the polls that if there were new elections, if they will not reach an agreement together, uh, we have new elections. Yes. If they don't found a new coalition, we have re-elections. But in the re-elections, he will be three times bigger. So he's now already the biggest one. So if we have re-elections, it will be uh, uh, three times stronger. He He can rule the country almost by himself. This is not possible, of course. We we have more seats than uh, than he can take. But um, this is the situation. So this shows that um, they have to cooperate. They have to have a coalition. If not, he's getting stronger. So this is a very good position at the moment for his party and also for the farmers, I think. And uh, I w- just want to shout out to the people in, in 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 your country, but also all over the world, Um, I never thought that going onto the streets, take a stance for yourself, take a stance for farmers, uh, get up and do something that it will actually help. I always thought that it's a bigger system and what can you do by yourself? But I'm I'm one of them that stood up together with a, a, a bunch of them. And we stood up and we changed everything, actually, because it's still not good enough and we're still not there. But. I never had thought that the country would chose so differently on the elections, and this is, this is only caused by the farmers going on the streets, by uh, uh, showing that the media is not correct, by opening up uh, the mess that they made, and uh, this is the, uh, something that everybody should take uh, take notice of. And you can bring change for sure.
2: I couldn't agree with you more, Josh. Yes. A few years ago, my husband and I, about a decade and a half ago, we migrated to New Zealand. We had looked around that time. Farming was getting harder in India. Yeah, the same things. I think the same things have followed us here. But 15 years, when we look back, we saw New Zealand has no subsidies. We had family in North America. We chose to emigrate here because we wanted to go to a country that stands up on its own. without. Because India is completely subsidy driven, you know, very small land holdings. And came here and 15 years later, we are dealing with the same issues here. But I think somewhere along the line, seeing the massive Indian farmers protest two years ago and what's happening in Europe right now, I am just like you, I'm encouraged because for a very long time, I think farmers have been guilty of not looking beyond the farm gate, you know, oh, let's just comply. Let's just do one more thing. Oh, they just want this paper signed. Oh, oh! Just a small form. Let's just do this, and slowly they realised they walked into a spider web. The tentacles are everywhere, and it is time to face the writing on the wall. When, while well, I can't uh, say you know Don and his time when he led the New Zealand the Federated Farmers, uh, it was different. But I can definitely, Don, from that time at now, see New Zealand can definitely take a leaf out of uh, the page of European farmers, we need to be standing up because the same thing, the same policies of nitrogen, the same thing that affected Sri Lanka, close, you know, overnight go organic. The same thing, you have Nature 2000. We have another excuse, that's our waterways. Whatever excuses they give, the end goal is still the same. And the other thing that's happened is governments now, slowly over time, have outsourced democracy, have outsourced power to your non-governmental organizations. Like this uh, Dutch chemist of yours, and I can never pronounce his name, uh, Johan Wallenbroek, the fellow who's... You no, know, Wallenbroek, yeah, 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 yeah. NGOs like his, we have NGOs here, non-governmental organizations, and they seem to be having the ear of the government far more than an ordinary citizen, an ordinary farmer like me or Don or anyone else would have. And it is the same modus operandi, isn't it? They work the same way. All of these, regardless of which country they are in. Yeah,
4: it, it's true. But the, the actually, the, the, if if you look into that, I I, I thought about this uh, many many times. How is the how, how is it working? Yeah. How is mm-hmm. it possible that people uh, that have nothing to do with farming have so much effect on farming? Yep. Um, but, yeah. But 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 then if you realize that it, Actually, it sounds kind of funny, but they have the time. <laughs> they have the time. They are sitting yeah. in their houses and they think, okay, what should we do today? If you look into them, the most of the activists that are in NGOs are not hardworking activists. They are activists because they had nothing to do. They are leeches. And it's funny, it's funny, but it's the truth. Um, and it's very it's very awful to see that uh the young farmers and the and, and even the, the older farmers that are uh, they they worked their butts off all their life and they 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 work work from dust to dung and they do everything and they are still going onto their tractors after they did all the work and go protesting and yeah. <laughs> protesting it, we needed to do this but we don't want this yeah it's not it's not in our blood no. but now i i i have smelled blood so i will keep hunting now
1: yeah uh,
3: good on you because that that's exactly right i mean i have thought exactly like you as a young man um and i used to be in the state sector in new zealand i used to work for the government before i went farming and i just don't know how people can sit in their offices and devise how to uh, make it harder for farmers and that's what we did. We made it harder for farmers all the time. All, all because we we're told the market and ne- the market needs it. That's Need the excuse. It. The market needs it. The consumers of the world actually want safe and trusted food. That's what they want. And all the cost structures that we have had added to us make food dearer for consumers, not cheaper. And yet, at the same time, these same people in their in their suits um, are telling the world that. Um, uh, farmers um, are, are sort of these these people that are taking too much from the environment at the very same time that they're putting more pressure on farming to take more from the environment. So there's a massive contradiction. And these people, as you talk about, they go to work um, uh, and you think they've got our best interests at heart because they are, and they are actually consumers. They actually do spend money and they do demand... Uh, you know, goods and services like we do but actually what added value are they and I think that's the question that is now the question the redistribution outside the farm gate the the taking of unearned increments out of every gram of beef you produce has just got too much and you're feeling it in, in the Netherlands we're feeling it here the sheep and beef farmers in this country are just uh, at the end of their tether right now um and Something's got to give. Bureaucracy's got to back out. The NGOs have got to stop having the power. So we've got to have the power back in the people. And I I know this is a big statement, but, Jos, I am in – I think we have a different way of approaching it, but I think I'm in awe of the the protests and the organisations that are behind the protests in, in your countries. And I just wish we would have some more unity around the world on these issues Forget about the protectionist trade stuff. It's about sovereignty for the family farm and the operations of the individual. That's the problem. And I see you've had um, massive farm amalgamations and uh, consolidations over the last 20 years, so is New Zealand. The end game there is where the family farm is gone. Well, we're a long way from it. We're a long way from it, but it's very much worth protecting and i think jos at the base at the, at your heart that's the base of your thinking the family farm am i am i right is that what's key and driving you the sanctity of the family farm
4: you know of course of course of course. family farms are are the base in which we survived so many problems throughout uh for decades you know weather issues uh uh sickness and animals uh everything is survived not by because we're only money driven we are not we are not money driven we are driven for the fact that we are a farmer and farmer is a way being a farmer is a way of living yeah it's it's um you are a farmer by heart um uh, and of course we are also businessmen and we also want to make money this is this is not weird making money is not bad yeah it's a good thing um but at the same time we also put our hearts and energy in this um, uh so I think uh protecting uh family farms is very important but I also think that um the vi- variety of, of farms uh, worldwide and also inside of the country it is way more impar- important than uh just looking only into family farming I think for example we have um uh, we have very uh, uh environmental uh, extensive uh, farming in the Netherlands as well, but we have also very intensively uh, high-gain, high-producing uh, farms. Yeah. So I think both of them are needed because we learn from each other and we get stronger by understanding e- each other's way of farming. And if it's all just one way of farming, uh, we, we will get weaker. So yeah, for protecting family farms is very important. And I, I think also that... Um, uniting worldwide and uniting uh, even in in europe we are doing it now very strongly i think one of the things that we are as fdf doing right now is building a a europe-wide base of farmers defense force Um, uh, Farmers Defence Force Belgium uh, was founded a half a year ago. They are very strong now. They had their first big protests in uh, Belgium now, but they also have their people speaking with the government. So this is going on. They have their memberships, everything. Uh, We are building the same in Germany, um, in Poland. Uh, And we do this in all the countries in Europe, and uh, this is uh, regarding the Farmers Defense Force, but we we are also trying to cooperate with young farmers and and, and with active farmer organizations all over. Um, But the problem is some of them are also invaded by this governmental system that is broken. And for example, uh, one of the biggest organizations in the Netherlands is the LTO, Um, Of course, there are farmers working there that try to protect farming in the Netherlands. They do their job because they think it's good for, for the farmers. Of course, they are there. But the main base of this organization is paid by the government. They do governmental projects and they get big amounts of money for this. Um once I had a huge argument with one of their big leaders uh, that said to me that uh, I don't understand how the world works because you need big money to achieve big things. Uh, and I said to him, it's, it's really stupid that you think like that, because uh, you don't make big money with big money. You make big money with big effort. And if you try to, to, to just accept money from the government you also put your mouth to the government because that's where your food is coming from that's why you you were paid by the government so you talk like the government and i said you have uh, i know that the memberships of the biggest organization in agriculture in the netherlands had many many years uh, it's not i don't know the numbers now but many many years when they were far the biggest one just after they consolidated together they had something like eight hundred million euro they had these amounts of money and you know what they did they spent it on so many different things and nothing happened i said to them you you should check your numbers because with these amounts of money you could buy the biggest retail company in the netherlands and now then you would have now not only the biggest farmers organization but also the biggest retail company in the netherlands then you would have helped the farmers way better than you did now But now they're just governmental funded and they're close to to the government. They can speak there every day. They enjoy this very much.
2: Yeah, and and we've got something similar here. Uh, You know, you have discussion groups, you have farmers, liaison, community liaison groups and all of this. And supposedly all of them are working to a reducing emissions or improving water quality in a particular area or fencing off a particular stream. But when you look closer at the sort of material, you know, the literature, these guys are told, you know, you need to study this. This is what's in your streams and so on. All of these groups are infested with NGOs, NGOs that are funded by the government. And most farmers are very happy to be reducing, say, their methane footprint or their emission levels without having Ever. And I mean, ever in their lives questioned the science behind it. Ever in their life asked a question, right, how much will this reduce the climate's warming by? Or there's just the standard thing. Now we've got an an NGO that has declared that a quarter of all New Zealanders are at risk for bowel cancer because of nitrates in the water. Now that's just accepted. No one questions the assumptions and the presuppositions behind them. And you have farmers, you have, we now have a farming MP who's in government and ex, he actually held the position that Don Nicholson ha- held as national head of federated farmers, who's now gone into a parliament. He has made it there in the last elections. And these guys completely believe this. They have never questioned and they believed that the farmers need to be doing more to appease NGOs like Greenpeace and others and don't that that worries me that worries me you know who i'm talking about here i do <laughs>
3: i do of course um and uh, sorry oh God. yes and and you ask you you don't need to know about all of that but uh, other than that we have similar issues here and and i don't know how we uh well i think these discussions are helping be the circuit breaker for us as well uh as uh, to, speaking to you gives a bit of context international context and just as an adjunct to what jasper Eats just said yesterday i had uh caused to read the german farmers association website and it didn't fill me with hope that that was no different to what jasper Eats just talked about in new zealand that they are very much uh wanting to be in the pocket of um of all agencies uh whether it's um uh copa uh or ko- kojika or copa all these things that are talking about harmonization of rules around the world but on the face of it it sounds fantastic i was seduced by it all 20 years ago as well so look i'm i'm guilty but it's not it's not going to work it just feeds the machine of the of europe the, of, of the hague and 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 brussels and and where else um Have you had it? So you've just mentioned about the LTO. I want to go back and ask you. Then, have you undermined the LTO to such an extent that they are losing their relevancy? Because it's funny. It's funny that. I I think that's what's happening here, actually, in New Zealand as well.
4: Well, it's it's funny. It's funny because I um, yeah. Okay, first of all, we, we were in very good contact with the opposition, uh, political opposition, yeah, logically, because we were not in front of the government, so uh, the sitting parties there were not in front of us because we protested against them, but of course the uh, the opposition was also, also always leeching on this, yeah, they, they love that we go into a uh, um, to attack the the sitting coalition because they know if there be re-elections they have a big chance of winning. Yeah. But at the same time, this also brought us very close to these politicians. We had lots of contact with them, with the biggest uh, persons of their party. Uh, we all have their phone numbers. We have uh, we we talk with them on a daily basis. Yeah. So now when the elections changed like 180 degrees. Everything is now in our favor because those people said to us, "Okay, we we know that you want change and uh, there is change now. Um, So now you see that LTO, for example, is uh, one, one of the biggest organizations in the Netherlands. But lots of farmers just said no the last three years to them. They, they they get get out of these organizations and the last rumors that i hear is that these organizations now have so lost so many members that they asking the government for more money because they can't live off on their memberships anymore so uh, the end of lto is very close um and we just uh today uh the, in the parliament of the Netherlands, the new farming coalition it's not the parliament ready, but they were having a debate. And the biggest party, the PFF said that in the next, uh, period, if there will be a coalition, uh, the party that will has to be spoken to and has to be on the table to, to discuss the farmers is the farmers defense force. Um, so it was, sh- it, it shook up the agricultural, uh, world quite a bit today because everybody was shocked they said those aggressive people that do protests and took a stance in the media and everywhere and they are now going to the table yes we are going to the table
3: so well, done. well i just read that the lto in the netherlands is down to thirty-five thousand members and um, based on the number of farms i recall you know reading about uh say 30 years ago they should they've probably reduced in size by a factor of Meaning well, hundreds of thousands, I imagine.
4: Well, now, well, we have uh, uh, we have only fifty five thousand farms in the Netherlands. Yes. So fifty thousand, fifty five thousand farmers. Yes. So um, uh, LTO always is pretending to have thirty five thousand members but the funny thing is they also have their yearbooks so every year you can check their numbers yeah and <laughs> if you know what a what a farmer is paying to the lto to be a member you can just calculate how many members they have they, they can say in the media we have thirty five thousand. um we are, try to be always honest about our members because why should we lie i we don't care we started little and we're growing fast so we we are proud of this but they are not so proud. So they say thirty-five thousand members. The last time that I calculated, they had a maximum of four thousand members.
3: Yeah, well, isn't that a contradiction <laughs> and a ma- massive? Um, isn't it? Well, I I looked at the site, the number of farms you had many years ago. Say say nineteen nineties, it was in the hundreds of thousands of of farms, and now you're down to fifty-five. I I've, I've read that, and I, I think the same thing's happening here. Um, you know. I think people got comfortable in their, in their advocacy positions. As you said, they get government funding. Um, but the biggest issue you've got, in my opinion, a bit of it, and I don't need to tell you how to operate, but is the division. Um, there's, there is power and unity. The trouble is when you had that unified voice, the unified voice got seduced by the governments of the day and weakened themselves. You're just effectively, you and others are the new kids on the block who are doing what farmers always thought that other group, the LTO should be doing. That's the bottom line. And so it's just a reform. And um, so what other groups are there in the Netherlands that are doing similar to you? I mean, I want to ask it as an adjunct to that. We had Terry Boudet on our show last year as well. And I see he's been harangued and harassed in in, uh, his role what does his uh, what do his politics say to you? Um, Y'all say you in sync with how Terry thinks? Because the way he spoke to us, I can sympathize with his views a lot.
4: Yeah. Well, of course, uh, Boudet is a very smart man. He's also a very good politician. So uh, yes, I, I'm. I very. I very, uh, I very under, good under, uh, understanding very much because he's very close to the way uh, that we are thinking in the Netherlands, and he's just addressing uh, everything that's going on. But um, I think, uh, you know, every politician has his way of acting and his way of doing, and sometimes uh, it's it's very effective and sometimes it's not. Um, but you see a wave, you know, that when Cherry Bodei's party started, the Forum for Democracy, uh, he started when everybody was very angry and his party became the biggest very quickly. He was the biggest party of the Netherlands. But then there was internal trouble. Then he got uh, harassed by many, many different organizations. And finally, this led up to him uh, going down the rabbit hole and being a very small political party. Um, Now, then after that, you had the BBB. Uh, after the farmers' protests, there was a new wave of um, people that were not happy with the government. So they all searched for uh, an alternative. And the people that first voted for Cherry uh, decided, okay, let's vote for the new one. This is a a constant wave of people trying to search for change. They want change, and they don't care who's bringing the change. They don't care what these people are thinking. They just want change. They're unhappy. So if there is somebody that promises change, they will vote for them. And you see this with Cherry in the beginning. Now it was the BBB and the PPB uh, did it for a very long time and he was already pretty big. So all the people started to vote tactically and said, OK, if he is becoming the biggest, we are sure that things will change. So mm. I think it's working like that. It's, it's a wave of people that newcomers in politics ride on this wave.
2: Yeah, right. And
3: so... Yeah, look, and sorry, that's a really good angle to to come from um, uh, when you've got sort of what what appears from the other side of the planet quite an awkward political system, but we have an awkward one as well. So, um, what what next, Yoss? Uh, I mean, we see the protests in other countries; uh, they we only see them on social media, but um, they appear to be uh, quite activist and almost militant beyond belief. Um, for someone like me I, I, I don't like breaking the law uh, but sometimes you have to be pushed into a corner to do it and it appears that some of the especially the French farmers are really um, stepping over the mark in terms of their di- uh, disruption of the day-to-day living of people in Paris for instance
4: Yeah it's it's. Uh, sometimes when I see the footage I'm shocked as well But, um, uh, yeah, they are uh, just they are ripping open asphalt on the road with their uh, tractors, with their uh, teeth in the road. I don't know how this machine is called, but they they are ripping out the asphalt. They are uh, dumping manure into the the offices of the police, of the everywhere. They are um, foreign trucks. Actually, uh, we did some research because we were shocked uh, that they they turn over the trucks coming from uh, outside of the France. Um, they, they tipped them over and they, they burned them. Um, and we were shocked because we said, okay what, what what happened But then we saw some footage that inside of these trucks were eggs coming from Ukraine, a non-European country and the labels on the eggs were French labels.
0: Oh. So the
4: Ukraine is producing while in war producing, French stapled eggs, bringing them to France and bankrupting the French farmers. So now you can imagine if you are on the road in anger because you're losing your family farm, you're standing there and you're stopping trucks. And these trucks are coming from Ukraine, a country that gets lots of money from the European Union to win the war against Putin. And then you see that they're bringing falsely stapled eggs into your country that's bankrupting your family. So then... I'm not saying that it's a good thing to tip over trucks and to burn them, but I'm starting to understand why they are going so uh, so strongly because they are they are seeing things that that I thought would wouldn't happen, but they're happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, then then if the government is trying to keep the public calm for a very very long time, the moment of explosion will be even harder. So Macron um, kicked down many, many, many activists uh, in his country. And in the last few years, a lot of um, um, demonstrations were uh, uh, yeah, were, were chilled out by Macron. Um, and, and now you can see this is the third time that it's going quite heavily in France and it's going heavily uh, bigger and stronger every time. And it's logical because if people want change and you don't change, you get more aggressive people. The the word democracy is based on demonstration, yeah? So Mm -hmm. they shouldn't forget this, but but they did.
2: There's nothing more dangerous than, you know, absolutely desperate people. A cornered rat will bite you. And uh, we've all had leaders, I mean, right from you uh, out in Holland to Macron, to Justin Trudeau, to Jacinda Arden, each one of them out of the World Economic Forum young leaders' tables, and each one of them pushing identical policies regardless of, of what they do. Uh, listeners, we are speaking to the vice president of the Farmers Defense Force in Netherlands, Charles Hubels, who very kindly today has come for round two after five months of since we last spoke in uh, last year's September. Joss, what is next for you? I mean, I know this is peak uh, carving time. How are you guys going to manage? How are you going to keep up the momentum there? Because I can speak from a New Zealand perspective. We go out, we protest for six hours, we drive our tractors around city centers and we go home hoping something will change. We, we need to take a lesson from you. But how will uh, your you guys, how will you keep up momentum at this time going forward? Farming is labor intensive. You can't be away from your farms too long.
4: No, that's why um, as a farmer's defense force, look, there is a lot of farmer organizations now and a lot of farmers that just go by themselves on the roads because they want to do something. And we just said to them, okay, do whatever you think is necessary and what you can do. uh, Everything is good. You know, if you do something, it's a good thing. If you do nothing, it's very stupid. So uh, we accept this, but if you want to keep momentum, you have to be smart uh, because if you just um, go on the road every day, they will get tired and eventually they say, okay, it brings nothing. Let's stay home. So we decided as Farmers Defense Force that we will go one time, very, very big. It will be one of the biggest ever. And it will be the 4th of June in Brussels. And Brussels will be shook on their grounds or as strong as they've never met, because we're going with all European countries. We're now working very hard to uh, search cooperation with all of the countries, and they are all in favor. Uh, Europe is burning hot right now. So I think we can propose the, the, the momentum to the 1st of June, because the, from the 6th to the 9th of June, we have European elections. And right. all the separate countries in Europe are now changing their governments to more right wing. Parties. So we think that if we can kick Mrs. van der Leyen out of her office in Brussels, we can change the European policy as well.
3: Well, fantastic, Uh, uh, Jos. uh, That's great, great news. I think you're hearing it first in New Zealand from Jos uh, Ubels. Thank you for that, because we certainly haven't heard that before. And I do observe some very good um, representatives from the Netherlands in the European Commission or European government um, halls. So um, let's hope you've got influence over them as well. And uh, we we wish you well for the weeks and months ahead. And thank you for giving your time to us today on Greenwashed, round two. Thanks, Joss.
0: You're welcome. Just Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
2: Welcome back to Greenwash. You're with me, Just Reed and my long-suffering co-host, Don Nicholson, here. And in the theme of keeping Kiwis appraised of what's happening overseas and the uncanny fact that how similar the agendas are overseas to what is happening here, Don and I are very pleased to welcome back a guest we had on last April, the president of the American Policy Center, Tom DeWeese. Welcome back, Tom, and thank you so much for coming back on.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: No, it is our pleasure. You have been, you've you founded American Policy Center, and you've been at the helm of affairs for 40 years. You have my unflinching respect for someone who can carry out a crusade for decades against Agenda 2030. You've been traveling the country, trying to get more people to see what's happening, Pretty much everything you've said, and I've followed you, Tom, on YouTube for at least the last 15 years. That's when I could find some of your earliest lectures. Everything you said has come true. You've also authored a number of books, including Sustainable, The War on Free Enterprise, Private Property, Individuals, Erase. Now, tell me I was wrong, and a special report on Agenda 21 and how to stop it. And you're on the road most of the time. How do you manage this?
1: well i get behind a lot of <laughs> things that i need to be doing but uh, it's just there's just so much uh, to do so much going on and and i'll tell you something interesting my book and now tell me i was wrong that was a collection of articles i'd written over a 15 minute, a year period uh, and it came out in 2011 and i took those older articles and i just kind of put an updated paragraph on them to say what happened when i put them out whatever and that now is what 13 years ago and uh, it is absolutely, totally still relevant. It's a good history lesson and uh, a lot of where all of these things came from. And we are just about ready to reissue it because uh, it, I don't have to change a word in it. It's, it's still right on top of, uh, of, we, of will, we will have
2: to look for some Kiwi publishers here who might stalk your books, Tom, because as I said, it's uncanny. How much what you are seeing happening in the U.S. is happening here. And the last time when you'd come on, we were very lucky after that to have your vice president, Kathleen Marquardt, come on on Greenwash as well. And that time we had spoken a lot about how all of this began. You know, we went into Club of Rome, we went into Agenda 2030, the United Nations, and its genesis, the League of Nations. What, what I want uh, to sort of get through to the audience this time is. Let's leave the theory behind. How are we practically seeing this agenda, which, you know, folks, we are told is all voluntary and has got nothing to do with us. How do we see it at our doorsteps? What is the biggest thing that you see out there? say, We spoke last April, Tom, what has happened? What's the biggest issues out there?
1: the biggest issues that are being put in place. I, one of the biggest things I'm running into here in the United States, and, I, and I'm sure it's true there too, uh, is the attack on farmers, the people who grow our food. And there's a massive attack that's taking place, burying uh, massive amounts of farmland, vital farmland under wind and solar panels and, uh, and, and wind towers. And They, you know, the Chinese are moving and buying up a lot of uh, of American land and farmland, and they uh, they're moving on. uh, You know, we've already are being told that we're we're, we can expect that we're going to have food shortages, and they 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 attack cows as being the uh, one of the major forces of uh, you know CO two, and they're they're in. uh, I just spent a lot of time in. Uh, the state of Iowa and the state of South Dakota; those are two of five states that are targeted to build a carbon capture pipeline to mm-hmm. take carbon out of the air and bury it in the ground to save the planet. Uh, apparently, the people behind this have never ever taken a science course to learn that trees, plants, things that uh, you know that are gro- we need to grow to feed mm-hmm. us need co2 it's not a pollutant but here they are working to bury it underground and get us down to that net zero and and uh you know your carbon footprint you know the whole thing and uh they they are absolutely uh destroying the uh ability to grow our food and uh you know that will be a big surprise to them someday when the farmers can't Can't supply what we need, you know.
2: So I'm assuming this pipeline is going through a lot of farmland and farmers are just supposed to suck it up. They're not getting any compensation or anything.
1: There is some compensation they're offering and so forth, but what they what you have, first of all, you've got a you've got private corporations that are putting in a private entity and to to it they're taking private property. And what I ran into, particularly in Iowa was uh we have appointed boards uh, appointed utility boards and uh these corporations are pressuring these uh, utility boards that are appointed by politicians to give them the power of eminent domain to just go in and take the land uh if the if the farmer won't accept their bribe and uh what I what really set me off as I traveled across the state were uh, we have county commissioners that in charge of you know, that area, and they were saying, well, you know, we really don't like this carbon capture pipeline, but there's nothing we can do because the Iowa Utilities Board, uh, you know, they're in charge of all this. And I went this side of berserk across the state, and I said, you know, you were elected by the people to represent them utility boards appointed boards are are created by politicians elected officials to be the bureaucracy basically for programs they put in place you are the boss and for you to sit there and say golly gee there's nothing we can do you are absolute cowards and as I said this somebody recorded my my talk the first one I gave, They made 350 CDs, and they passed them out, including to all the county commissioners in the state, and then they rented a movie theater and showed it there, and uh, they heard me, and a lot of them started to change their attitude on it, and I said, you protect the private property of the people who are in the pathway of this thing, and you uh, you can protect them. That's what you need to do. And they started to do that. There were a couple of different counties that passed legislation saying the pipeline can't come through here. And then we got into South Dakota and one of the other states. And there was a farmer there named Jared Bosley who was opposed to the pipeline. He even had a big sign on his property, no pipeline coming through here. And uh, they came on his property while he was out in his fields working. His wife looks out the window, and they're walking around. He had an office in his barn. He had other things around there. They're walking all over the property. And they uh, he tried to talk to them, and they wouldn't talk to him. And they accused him of threatening them with bodily harm, which he never did do. They actually took him to court for it, but he got out of that. About uh, four weeks later, they arrive on his property with a massive machine. They also had armed guards, sheriff deputies, and they came on his property with this massive machine, and they were digging uh, an 85-foot hole down in the ground. They damaged his corn crop, his soybean crop, and they never said why they did this. The reason they were doing that is because they were working to intimidate him and other farmers who were standing up against them. The good news to all this is it backfired on them, and the farmers got angry and finally stood up, and they went to the state legislature, and they demanded that the state legislature take action and protect their property and stop this, this activity. and. It has literally brought the pipeline to a halt at the moment. I won't say we've won yet because they always come back with something else. But people acting, that taking action, demanding that their, their elected representatives represent them. And it worked there. And uh, so, you know, that's Sit. the good news.
3: Yeah, well, that is the good news. Apart from the stupidity of the concept around carbon capture and storage and pipelines and all that, <laughs> you would you would expect, wouldn't you, Tom, though, that um a fair exchange around free exchange of property rights, a fair and free exchange of property rights requires full compensation and um a willing, willing parties. Now, clearly, when we have infrastructure like a road or a um power what power line or perhaps the telecommunications infrastructure down a utility corridor. Um, that access is a given, effectively, in, in 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 the in our world anyway. In New Zealand, if they want to take property, they generally have to come through what's called the Public Works Act. But the issue would be, um, you get some willing part- parties and others unwilling. How? If society does deem that they want a useful bit of infrastructure, not a useless bit of infrastructure, surely there is a right to um, buy the rights by the state of private property. How, I mean, we can't always be obstructive is what I'm getting to. And I'm worried about this, that there is always a looklet of oh, these farmers just and we're both farmers, by the way. We're just being obstructive. So I just want to flesh that out a bit because in Australia, especially right now, we're seeing a lot of tension about uh, high tension power wires, you know, pylons going over property um, because they want to expand their national grid. Um, So there's got to be some rational um, way through this. Surely.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and what you're saying about the right of ways with the roads and that sort of thing, if if they were going to build a pipeline along that edge on on the edge of the property, probably would be no problem. Uh, but they were bringing it within sixty feet of people's homes, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and many other things, actually damaging, uh, you know, the, the property they're living on, the property of their, where their crops are, and so forth, and uh, just wandering willy nilly through it all, and they didn't care where they took it. It was all there for their convenience. And uh, if they had stuck to just staying on those right-of-ways, they probably wouldn't have any problem. They were offering them compensation, but there was paperwork that, uh, re- as we have got into it, was revealing some things uh, you know, that really weren't good things for them. If they signed this, uh, one of the things is... They, and they do this with with conservation easements as well. Is they they basically say this is in perpetuity. This is going to stay there forever. There's nothing that the property owner can do about it. But the owners of of that uh, contract can do whatever they wanted to do. They sell it. They can buy it. They can move on. They can bring somebody else in. You never knew who's going to be the boss. And so this is one of the real fallacies of this. And they make all kind of promises, but when you get down to the into the nitty gritty of it, it's. Uh, uh, you know it's 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 bad news, and uh, it was it was interesting as I gave the talk uh, across the state of Iowa. There was this young kid reporter who you know was pretending to be a reporter, basically, who was asking me all kinds of questions uh, about all of this. And I got up to give the talk, and I come back, and he's still standing there, and he says, "You know what you just had to say? You know, I, I, it sounded like hate speech." And I said, it was hate speech. They
2: hate it when I say it. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, not very far from where Don and I live, uh, the very southern tip of New Zealand, uh, Tom, as we speak, there is drilling going on. There's this area called Bluff for the same thing, carbon capture. They they call it out here, they call it remineralization. So they say they found, you know, the appropriate rock. And once it goes in, it will again, there's this company called Vioradon. I don't know if you've heard of it. But what they say is the magnesium-rich rocks when exposed to CO2, they form new rocks and essentially trap it. This is happening, you know, less than half an hour away from dawn as we speak. So it is the same thing, regardless same. of yeah. where you are.
3: It's an illness. It's an illness. It's a worldwide virus. Uh, well, a Western virus, this stuff, um, Jasper. it's everywhere. Anyway. And well, there's, if-
1: there's a, a big difference between uh, an oil pipeline and the carbon capture pipeline. The oil pipeline ruptures, uh, you've got an oil spill to clean up. They had a rupture of a carbon capture pipeline in the state of Mississippi, and it gave off this green cloud. And people were talking, first of all, their cars quit running. They They, you know, cars need oxygen. This was a usurping oxygen coming out of this carbon capture pipeline People to this day are still talking about fuzziness in their brains and so forth. They, they were literally shut down with this. It is dangerous to people's health. And just to put this over people's property and, and pay no attention, it, you know, that's different than a pipeline, than an oil pipeline. And uh, uh, so that was, you know, that was one of the weapons we used to get people to understand what the problem was.
2: And I'm, I'm going to refrain myself from going into the carbon thing. I know listeners have listened to me, Don, and Don, enough about this. But one thing I can't resist adding at this point, because both of you gentlemen spoke about property rights here, is going back to, you know, the UN Habitat Conference. I found an article 1976 on the Vancouver Sun by, by somebody who had attended the UN Habitat Conference then. And this person goes on to quote that says, the documents that came out of that United Nations Conference Nearly 50 years ago, they said public ownership or effective control of land. The public interest is the single most important means of achieving a more equitable distribution of developments benefits. It went on to say that in many countries, it may be essential to restructure the entire system of ownership rights. Pretty powerful stuff. And 134 countries adopted it without a whimper. And here we are. Before I was one of gone, the, uh, I talking about this stuff. Yeah, one of the
1: main things that I have learned in the forty years of fighting this, of course, the the policy of putting all of this in place is sustainable development, and what I have learned is that it's uh, if private property is protected, particularly at the local level, the state level, whatever then they cannot impose most of these policies. Sustainable development is a destruction of private property, just as you're, you're revealing there and what they said. And if we protect private property, then they, in a lot of these cases, they can't impose these programs. And that's why I began, If so I was working on a lot of different issues in the beginning, and uh, just kind of settled on this. And as I began to to see these environmental issues coming up, it was all new stuff. And I kept asking one question: What about the property rights of the people this is affecting? And that was what got me involved. And then I learned that it really is a destruction of it. You've got environmental groups saying we don't believe in private property. And uh, you know, as I, and I've said very many times, the uh, this whole thing with the environment uh, is a weapon. And it's done on purpose. Uh, you know, the, their real goal is control, globalist control, global governance, and so forth. Uh, we're not allowed to say that because that's conspiracy theory. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm quoting them. is what they want to do. But um, we've had uh, throughout history that, uh, forgive me if I've said this before, but uh, it's, it's true. Throughout history, we've always had these forces who wanted to control the world. And what they would do is put together armies, and they would go in and invade, and they would break things, and they would kill people, and they'd subjugate them. These guys we're up against here now are diabolical. What they are uh, working towards here is they're using the tactic of fear to get us to voluntarily give up our liberties and help them subjugate us. the the fear is the fear of environmental armageddon it doesn't matter how many rights you think you have if you don't have a planet to stand on that's the weapon and every time we prove that global warming doesn't exist that the the you know the arctic isn't melting that islands aren't drowning that you know on and on and on every time we begin to prove that this stuff is bogus they have to dig down in. They don't give up on it, because how do you give up on a weapon like that? They you just know? come up with more fear. And, uh, and, and, of course, what are we? Disinformation experts, conspiracy theorists, you know, everything they can to discredit us. And I've said often, uh, many times, that all I have ever done is quote them. I'm not creative enough to make this stuff up. So if it's crazy, if it sounds weird, uh, you know, and lies, it's because they're telling them, not me.
2: Mm-hmm. And we now have this uh, the other win that you know you've spoken about the carbon capture pipeline. Hopefully, we we've been able to buy some time there. The natural asset companies. So the New York Stock Exchange has recently withdrawn a proposal to approve the creation of natural asset companies on Wall Street. What what is happening there? Could you expand on this, please?
1: Well, let me just say this before that the with uh, with the. With the um great reset the world economic forum and uh, one of the things they're focusing on is uh you know a wall street and not investing in companies that uh you know aren't playing ball with all of this that they aren't aren't accepting all this well now you got uh you know what they did with the uh nacs is going into wall street and and getting uh you know setting up these uh proposals or these ideas of investing in this property is locked away we're working on here in in the states what they call 30 by 30 which is lock away 30 percent of all the land in this country for conservation easements uh by by the by 2030 they really mean 50 50 by you know 30 but um (laughs) they have figured out a way these corporations that if people talk about uh, gas companies and uh, others that provide electricity and so forth that are all joining into this and they're killing their own industry. Why are they doing that? Why would they do such a thing? The mining industry and so forth, because they're working on this NAC. They make that land that they're locking away a an investment uh, opportunity for them to make money from their land being locked away. Uh, you know the the Biden administration. Uh, that's what they called the infrastructure bill there was an uh, infrastructure is building highways and fixing railroads and you know, all this kind of stuff there was no infrastructure in this thing there's a little piece of it over here but it was all these programs the carbon capture pipelines there was billions of dollars in there for that the uh the nac there was there's billions of dollars there um I, i'm sure you're familiar with an organization called blackrock Mm -hmm. which is the richest corporation in the world. They control trillions of dollars and they are almost the full uh, investor in the uh, providing the money for the carbon capture pipelines. They, uh, you know, they, they would stand to, if they're buying up land all over the world and uh, imposing these policies, well, take a look at it. They've got all that land. How much are they going to make from the investments of the NAC? This, this is, just how it operates. These corporations are not free enterprise. You talk about public-private partnerships, you can't have a partnership between private enterprise and government. And government's job is to protect the industries from being able to to be on a free market and to compete and and do what they do, uh, protect that ability to do that. It is not a partnership where they get to go in and help put in legislation that puts their competition out of business or gives them all kinds of government money to put in their pockets so they don't have to do anything. Do anything. But that's what this is all about. Yeah.
3: Gosh, Jasper, how often have we talked about how competition is the problem, how the diminution of competition uh, by the big boys and big players is causing us all this grief and how often have we talked about how the expropriation of property without uh due compensation is a problem with so the state just acquires property and um uh, appropriates it to their their balance sheet and now we have the monetization of nature and of course uh, i've reiterated to you recently jasbreed that in new zealand we have a river that's been accorded the state of a natural person, person a river so we're, we're on the way to monetizing natural assets in New Zealand uh, through the back door, Tom, I think. Uh, it's an absolute scandal. And what would you call that if you were actually labeling it with a, um, a political or a, a concept like um, socialism or Marxism or communism, or is it just new way capitalism? What is it?
1: Everything we're dealing with here is pure communism that communism is one control at the top, and one powerful control. There is no private property, there is no free enterprise, and uh, there is no individual liberty to decide how you wanna live your life. And uh, it comes in various stages. But uh, that's what is really behind all of this, and uh, we are we are looking as they're taking they want to take over our monetary system and and do away with with cash, and uh, have everything uh, you know uh, uh, digital and so forth. That means that every single penny we spend, they can monitor it. They can take away your bank accounts. They can. Uh, uh, control anything that you're that you're doing. Uh, people who donate to organizations like ours. Uh oh, you know that kind of thing. We now we know who you are, and that is total surveillance. And uh, I mean, I, I think about. Lenin and Stalin and Mao and people like that, if they had had the kind of surveillance system we have today, what in Hitler, what they would have done with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're seeing because the same, the same mentality there, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum is, is just, uh, I mean, he's, he's like a, like out of a James Bond film. He's a perfect James Bond villain and uh, you know, and how he's operating. And uh, I, I, I've pointed out several times that he wrote this book called COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And he said that that book was a report on what they had learned through the COVID uh, lock pandemic lockdowns of the weakness of capitalism. That's what he says. Now, here's the amazing thing about that. The lockdown started in like March of that year. What was it, 2020? 2020. And uh, And this book, came out in August of 2020. That's five months. Now in that five months period, I, I've written three books. And I know that first of all, you got to come up with a concept. Then you've got to actually write it. You got to study it, invest, you know, you know, go uh research it, then write it. Then you've got to find a publishing company. You've got to find editors, printers, and get it out on the thing. This genius did this in five months. And in that period of time he had time to find out what weaknesses we had in capitalism under the pandemic. Or it was written before the pandemic, pandemic. and he is a liar. <laughs> it's one I, or the other.
2: I know which one I would uh, wager my money on, Tom. But uh, listeners, you're listening to Tom Dewey. president of the American Policy Center, who's on Greenwash for the second time. And we were talking about uh, natural asset companies or NACs. And, you know, you might like to rethink the incentives you're getting for creation of that uh, wetland or the grasslands that you're creating. Because, believe it or not, we have something called as biodiversity credits here. And things might just turn out to be different than what you think they are. We spoke about natural asset companies and carbon capture pipelines and all the various means that are being employed by the left to get rid of your property rights there's something else i have always maintained uh, tom as is a part of the reset and that's immigration i don't know if for the us i should call it an immigration or should, should i call it an invasion because there seems to be nothing uh, you know in the least civil or well organized about it this what what are your thoughts on what's happening at the you know the us border there
1: Almost definitely is an invasion. I mean, they're they're just pouring across there without any attempt. I mean, we've got the government giving them money, uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of incentives. Uh I saw yesterday that there's some sort of a website they look into, they know exactly where to go and how to how to move forward and so forth. Uh you know, and of course the cartels are making a fortune off of it. They're loving it. And uh it, it definitely is this. And uh it's what to go back to, to the beginning on it, the when you're looking at, uh, if you accept the idea that a whole lot of this is about the creation of a global governance, then you have to change the culture. And here in the United States, we're one of the few countries that were set up in our constitution that said that you had your rights you were born with. And it's government's job to protect those rights. Many, many other countries in the world, the government tells you what your rights are. And if you are these people working to put this global governance in place, you're looking at the United States, particularly as a problem, that mm-hmm. uh, we've got to change that culture. We've got to get rid of this private property thing. We get rid of the free enterprise. And we've got to change the people, the attitudes, the values, and the beliefs. And of course, one of the first things they they started to do creating the uh, National Department of uh, of, uh, Education and changing the entire curriculum. They're literally in our schools are not teaching academics. It's all about behavior modification to create what I call the perfect global village idiot is what they're really bringing out of that. And uh, so they don't even know to ask the questions about things. They don't know history, whatever. Now you bring in this total invasion of millions of people from other countries that know absolutely nothing about our culture here, then you get that culture destroyed. Free enterprise is gone. Private property is gone. They all accept it right off the bat. And um, as as we were kind of discussing during the break, the um, this thing about the thousands and thousands of Chinese that are coming in here. China is a communist country. It is... Yeah. Brutal and controlling, people there are prisoners. They don't just walk away and say, well, I'm gonna leave China, I don't like it here. They can't do that in 99% of the cases. And so where are these thousands of people coming from China across our border? And, you know, we are very concerned here now about, uh, you know, we've got people from all kinds of countries that are enemies of the United States and the ideals of the United States And are they setting up camps here? Are they putting together uh, a plan to really rise up and cause all kinds of havoc uh, inside the country? And will the country crash from that? And now we have um, some of these woke politicians that are setting up the election process to where you don't have to be an American citizen to just come in and vote. And I knew uh, back when Obama was running for his second term uh I had some people tell me they witnessed in in their uh, city, that uh, happened to be Columbus, Ohio, as a matter of fact, which is my home state. And they saw three buses pull up in front of a, uh, a a voting area. And people, all these people who did not speak English went into the polling place and these leaders went in with them and just pointed on the ballot where to vote. totally illegal. But they were people witnessed this. They saw them doing it. And this sort of thing is happening. And when you have lost your ability to even pick your leaders, uh, then you know your country is gone. And when you're talking, we have to keep this in mind: global governance and the power of total control. Who is it that's been practicing that and has been advocating it for centuries? The communists. And that yeah. and, and of course they can go back to other dictators before that, kings and queens, or whatever. But um this is this is the, the role. And you look back at when the Soviet Union fell and uh Gorbachev was in charge and he let it all walk you know just walk away from the Soviet Union, and he ends up coming to the United States and advocating the same policies. Policies, yeah. So anyway, that's um, a long I mean, way can- to say.
2: The USAID papers reveal that there are people who are, you know, people in transit who are beneficiaries of um, hundreds of millions of dollars in USAID and, uh, you know, prepaid cards, debit cards. They even get cell phones at places. And uh, that sort of money is being spread over something like 625,000 migrants just in the last year got this much. And, you know, leave the money side apart, Tom, for me as a migrant here myself. Like, I was speaking to Don about this. What I know of New Zealand is what, when I came 15 years ago, is what is that's all I have to compare it to. To someone who was born here, who's lived here for 50, 60, 70 years. You're not 70 yet, all. Don't worry. But, <laughs> but, their, but their recollections of the kind of life, the quality of life, the freedom they had over conservation land, being able to, you know, travel and speak and the sort of politicians they had they have a different benchmark. And that's where I think immigrants are very handy. Anyone who I see, and I can just speak about the Indian diaspora, off and on when I meet them, you know, when I head to town from the farm, they will not have a recollection of that because they all they know is the New Zealand that was there today when they came. And how will you strive for something better or try to fight for something when, you know, you never had it anyway. You, a migrant comes and, Unlike you, you know, we have a big moat of water surrounding us, so we have to pretend to have legal migration, even though New Zealand's population has gone up from 4 million to almost 5.2 million in just over two decades. That's a 25% increase. That's not big small increase, by any means. Yeah. But I, I do think that that sense of history, that sense of affiliation, that's that's missing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, in, in the United States, we were very, very proud of our heritage and of our freedom. Mm. And people were coming from around the world to be part of that, you know, in in back in the early 1900s, as people were coming from Italy and, and other European countries and so forth, they're coming into New York City on the on the ship on the way there. They were practicing English to mm-hmm. to be able to, to become Americans. That's what they wanted to be an American. And, uh, you know, that is not the case now. They I mean, they come in here carrying the flags of the country they're leaving that's supposedly, you know, uh, oppressing them. And they uh, they pay no attention to any of the uh, ideals, any of the uh, you know, the, the system that we have. And we are just moving to accommodate that instead. And, st- and I, I, I mean, I'm hearing seriously now. They're talking about we've got all these overcrowded places. We got all these tent cities and uh, up and down the streets and the big cities and so forth. But and they've taken over hotels. And, uh, you know, I've heard seriously now they're talking about if you have a, a large home with extra rooms in it, you may be forced to take. Illegal immigrants into your home to house them. There goes private property, free enterprise, individual liberty, gone. And uh, that's a that's a, a totalitarian government that is controlling every action in in your life. And that they're talking about this in a serious way.
3: Yeah, but they actually are here too in a strange way. Uh, perhaps Tom, where they're talking in at tourist towns where there is vacant homes that um you know perhaps people have as a holiday home or a, or a spare um yeah a holiday home generally it's vacant they're talking about maybe encouraging uh, is a nice word to say forcing people to open their door to to accommodate these people that has been mentioned now that is uh for in the New Zealand sense that is the slipperiest slope of all, in my opinion, when you get this coercive factor coming from the governors of the country, I have to say, Tom, um, just slightly deferring from that story for a minute. There's a heading in your website. Uh, recent output uh, from you was called "Setting the Agenda for Freedom's Comeback," and I would employ our listeners to go to the American Policy Center's uh, setting uh, page website. Sorry, and read the first read that whole article, but the first paragraph. Graph of it is so salutary to me it opens up by saying for more than a hundred years the free market economy of the united states has been used to prop up the failures of socialism throughout the world overtaxed americans have been forced to pay for it through foreign schemes and leftist pretend charity cartels armed with plundered american capital capital global looters have had free reign to pillage some of the naturally richest nations in the world now destroyed by socialism and it goes on i thought that was so powerful and something that we all need to read and take notice of so yes listeners please go to the american policy center and read that article um
0: yeah Um, so
1: the other thing that uh that about that article is uh, I'm talking about what's happening around the world. Yes. And you know, we, we we worry so much. People think there's nothing we can do, we can't stop them. And I have always taken the the positive approach. I mean, first of all, I will not submit to the ideals of Marx and Lenin and Stalin and Hitler and these guys. Uh because to do that says they were smarter than Washington, Jefferson, Adams, you know, uh, people who created uh, what we had. And that is just not so. And uh, so the, there are good things happening around the world. One of the problems we have is we don't report on it enough. There are people standing up. And and one of the things I talked about in the article was in the nation of Argentina, the uh, the latest election that they had, they elected uh, Javier Milani, uh, Milly uh, there. He was a limited government, free enterprise candidate, and he was elected by a large margin. Over fifty five uh, percent of the people voted for him. This is a country that had been oppressed by Castro and Chavez, and you know all these guys. And um, the people figured it out. They stood up. And they elected this guy, and and what I love about what he said, he said uh, one of the first things he's going to do is start to, they have uh, 19 agencies in the national government, and he's going to eliminate 11 of them And if if he gets his way. And that includes the Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development the ministry of women gender uh and diversity and the ministry of education which he says is the ministry of indoctrination which is what i've been saying for 40 years and uh then we also got at the same time you had uh in the netherlands the uh, uh the election there of the um the new prime minister who they are are calling the dutch donald trump <laughs> And I mean, this is major happening around the world. Meanwhile, in England, Germany, uh, uh, other uh, countries in that area, they were the first ones, uh, France, they were the first ones to really accept all of this environmental garbage and try to put it all in place. They are starving to death energy wise and many other ways. And even the European Union is now beginning to stand up against these things. And, uh, and they're saying that the, uh, the whole net zero thing there is dead in those countries. And so this is what happens. People are rising up. We have got to take a, uh, a you know, take a deep breath and some energy from that. I, 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 I talk to people all the time who look down at their feet and defeat, and they're, they're saying we, there's nothing we can do. The, uh, they're too big. They're too strong. The the people, the, the, the forces that are putting all this stuff in place are terrified of us. That's why they are moving so fast to try to discredit us. Tell everybody we're just nutcases and all that because they are terrified that we're going to succeed and we're beginning to. And it's because people are beginning to experience the policies that we've been warning about all this time, and I see many, many more people standing up saying, "What can I do? What can I do?" And that's why I travel the country and working with people to show them what they can do.
3: Yeah, yeah, fantastic, uh, Tom. And uh, it's it's so important that people understand that the end game that we're uh, of, of the concepts that are being thrown at us will not be pleasant. Uh, and yet they've been comfortably numb. I can't understand uh, seventy years plus since uh, the end of the second world War, and a few wars in between that were quite serious don't take I'm not discounting them. But how perhaps my generation of of my age group have, have become numb and sort of almost immune to worrying about this. Uh, they don't see, and we get all the blame. Of course, my generation's getting all the blame for for yep. for not doing stuff for the woke side of life. I mean, I think we did okay, but I think we also went without for many years, and now we've made good, and all of a sudden it's not good enough. But how do we keep people to, as Jesper knows, my saying is, when you're around your local council, when you're around the halls of people that us you've elected. To, uh, to hold the line or to to at least hopefully uh, listen to you. How do you get those volunteers to stay on message in volume over time? Because what I note is a lot of erratic behavior. It doesn't take much for someone to spray themselves too wide and all of a sudden they've lost the thrust. How do you do it? Yeah. Well, first of all, understand this.
1: When your local uh, elected representatives, the ones that are right there in your community and so forth. And those are so many times your neighbors and friends and so forth. You get them in office and uh, you see them change. And you think, why? Why is it? They're not talking to me. What, what is wrong here? We, there are these non-governmental organizations, these NGOs. There are literally about 20,000 of them in the world. Every single policy we're talking about here, all of this... Uh, environmental policy, all the global policies and so the attacks on the money. They every one of those issues has at least one NGO that's an expert on that issue. They know exactly how to present it. They know how to get uh federal or you know government money to help pay for it. They probably helped write those plans in the first place. They are surrounding your elected officials 24 hours a day. They pressure them, they promise them. They, uh, they they threaten them, you know, whatever, uh, whatever needs to be done. Meanwhile, we aren't there. Those of us who try to live a regular life, we have a family to raise, we've got a job to do, we want to just enjoy our life, and local government is such a bore, and so we don't want to get involved in that. And so if one of us happens to show up and try to say something uh, about these policies, what do you get from those elected officials? Their eyes have glazed over, their arms are folded, and they get a scowl on their face, and they they give you t- tiny little bit of the time to speak, and then the gavel comes down. And I've I warned people that uh, if you're doing this and the, the place you're standing has a trap door under it, you're gone. You know, down you go. And it's because the NGOs are standing there going, to guy's nuts, pay no attention to them. They have got to discredit us in every case. And the other thing that you will hear them say is, well, everybody's doing it this way. One of the things that happens here in the U.S. when we elect uh, new city councilmen, county commissioners, state legislators, the first thing we do, our new mayor, we send them out to these national organizations the national conference of mayors the national league of cities you know the, these these organizations these are private organizations. They are not government organizations. And from the podium, they are hearing these same NGOs. They're given sample legislation. Here's the latest. Everybody's doing it across the country. You can do this too. And they come home. And one of us starts there and tries to attack those programs. Well, we're just a nutcase. And uh, the radicals are here. They don't understand. We're, we're trying to help the people. This is what we're up against. So what we have to do in training people to fight back to stand up to this we've got an awful lot of people now who are brand new who who want to do something but don't know how they never did it before and this is what i'm trying to do is train people it's what i call building a freedom pod in your community focus only on your community don't worry about next door focus on your local community and your government there and and first of all do the research Start to look at the programs that are being and in, in put in place. I, I don't know whether it's true in New Zealand or not, but it's definitely true in the U.S. Every city has its own website. They have all kinds of records there, and you can begin to look at them. And you look at the uh, these files, find out what kind of grants have been taken, what kind of programs are put in place. Begin to figure out who the NGOs are who work there, who are working in that community. The other thing: get a few volunteers who. We call the watchers. They volunteer to go to every public meeting and just listen. You'll be amazed what you hear uh, as, as they're talking among themselves there. And you'll figure out who the lead NGO is. Every council has at least one guy who is the, the force pushing all this in place. Look at his stuff pockets. You can figure out who he is from there. But, uh, the, the uh, you know, you, you begin to figure it out. Then you get some really good people who are good speakers. They're the ones that go in and, and address them based on what the researchers found, based on what the watchers found. But don't go in there and scream and yell at them that you're implementing the UN Agenda 21. You're implementing the Great uh, the uh, reset. great Reset you know all that. Don't do that. Look at the policies. And, and why are you opposed to the policy in the first place? Is it affecting your property, your neighborhood? Is it affecting local businesses? What is the case? Your children in school? And go in with a very reasoned, calm argument to talk about that, and 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 try to be from that that way. Then the other thing you need to do is you've got to get this information out to the people. Uh, in our country, you can't trust the news media, but you can take flyers door to door. You can uh, sometimes you can put them in stores or whatever with the background information. And when you see from these plans that a certain area of, of the city, for example, is going to be affected, uh, maybe it's a lower income part of the city. They're going to tear it all down and rebuild. It and so, well, go there and talk to the people. Do you know what's about to happen here? And begin to talk to people individually. You don't need everybody, you need a good four of of people. You go in there and uh, then you start to show up. If you can start having a hundred people show up at a council meeting, you're beginning to change things. We've got to change the debate. We have been reduced to defending freedom. What do we mean by it? How do we explain to somebody what we mean when they are on the aggressive side, telling everybody this is all to help the people? And how do we defend it? I am working right now with Trevor Loudon and Alex Newman and uh, Kathleen Marquardt and I, we are working to create our own version of a Freedom Agenda 21 that will describe what we mean. What is our vision of freedom? How will it help you? This become a weapon, a a, a tool, that people can start demanding pieces and parts of this be put in your local legislation, that sort of thing. So that's, in a nutshell, what we're what we're really working to to do. But we've got to be there, and we've got to change the debate. And uh, you know, the, the, there is no position in town that's too small. Every one yeah. of the, and no matter how small it is, it affects policy. Get our people on that, and uh, and start stop being polite and start naming the names. If you've got local officials that are pushing these things, uh, begin to name them. Tell them what this this guy is against is 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 for this. This is where it's going to go, and you know, really begin to make them squirm, make them feel some pain for what they're doing, and we begin to turn it around. That's that's my strategy.
3: Well, that's that's fantastic. And I and you mentioned Trevor Loden all through that. So at one point through that, I don't want to dismiss what you've just said because that was pretty powerful. Um, but obviously he's well known to RCR, reality check radio. Well, I mentioned, and yeah. and interestingly, um, he may have told you that uh one of our coal- new coalition partners, the Act Party, uh, which I think is and my politics are probably similar on or, uh, in in this country, um they have said under their agreements with the other two parties, they want to reform what's called the Resource Management Act to recognise private property rights. Now, that is a massive turnaround. It's been what some of us have been fighting for for 25 years. So if any little glimmer of hope is, it's equivalent of your EPA, I, I dare say, um, how that's operated. Um, we've got a glimmer of hope that we are starting to at least put one little uh, finger in the dike of uh of the removing of property rights, uh, as yeah. it's been going on. Here, here's the what's base.
1: important about that. A little victory, a tiny little victory is a victory. And we have got to start celebrating even the tiny victories. I have had many, many people tell me, Well, we had a hundred people show up at a city council meeting and I said, What happened? Nothing. They didn't list. they didn't pay any attention to us. Well, what did you do the next day? Well, nothing. It didn't work. If you had 100 people there, that's a victory in itself. itself. Get their names. Get their addresses. Make sure you can get them there again. I'll tell you this real quick. I have an organization in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, They're called the Caddo Alliance for Freedom. Five guys started this. They they started to notice that the Shreveport City Council was starting to overreach their authority into their township where they didn't have authority. And they were going to start to implement these plans. And these guys were not political. They went to a city councilman, and they tried to explain their position. And the councilman basically patted them on the head and said, well, you're nice, boys, but you're not going to have any impact on this. This is just the way it's done. And the guy who was the leader of the group, in his own mind, that changed everything. And he got determined. They started having over a hundred people show up every week, sometimes two hundred. They present their presentations just right. Uh, they've gotten several people elected to to other offices, and the, the the greatest thing that he told me was one day after they were really starting to get things happening, that same city councilman came up and said, "What can I do for you, fellas?" That's what victory <laughs> looks like. Uh, okay. and, you know, so. Uh, You can't change everything in one day. You can't change the entire thing. Tiny little steps. This is why I say, look in your community. If if you're if you're starting to make some changes in your community, the community next door is going to say, "How'd you do that?" And it starts to grow, and it grows up. If you try to go to the national government and try to force it from there, you're going to have very little impact. But you start to build it from the bottom. You're building the roots. And it can grow and and be effective. So that's that's what I mean by a freedom pod.
2: Excellent, Tom. Thank you so much. And yeah, I, I completely agree with that. No position is so too small. We've often encouraged at Reality Check Radio for our listeners to get involved in their hood. You know, forget the wider community or the stakeholder that they tell you to look at. Look at your own geographical neighborhood and see if there's a Department of Conservation vacancy. If there's something in an NGO, everything is right now is being outsourced. And this, this uh, last week, I read an article about how, you know, a local one of our local councils here, uh, Tom, is doing uh, a consultation on speed limits. I believe it was Ashburton District Council uh, on speed limits. And there's a small byline in the article. It said the city council, the district council has partnered with Safer Mid-Canterbury for the survey. And I looked up Safer Mid-Canterbury and that's an NGO that's been operating for 25 years. More than half of the board is ex-counselors, ex council staff, and there you have it. You know exactly who's pushing the agenda. So that's, I think that's been a great chat and very motivating for our listeners because, yep. you know, just like Tom, I refuse to go along with this. I just completely, flatly, I'm, you know, I have uh Certain pig headed streaks that my husband knows will come to the fore when I'm pushed yeah. too
3: far. Yes, yeah. you are. You are exhibit number one, Jasper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fantastic. compromise fa- with tyranny. Yes. Uh, yeah. Fa- fantastic, Tom. It was great to have Margaret on last year as well. So we we would love to have you both back again because this story is not going away and it is constant reinforcement that, um, of the story that, that will help everybody. So thank you so much for coming any, back. Anytime. time.
2: Thank you, Tom. Thank you. So appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And with that, we come to the end of this week's show, Greenwash, our first show, Don and me, for 2024. We've been very lucky to have the guests we had on. Do remember, National Lamb Day is 15th of February. Go out and celebrate with a barbecue, a sausage or two, a roast, a chop, whatever takes your fancy. And we'll be looking very closely at Europe and the developments on the farming front over the next few months. Jos Ubels, our guest from the Holland's Farmer Defence Force, mentioned that come June, there would be an event in Brussels with as many farmers as they can mobilize. We will be looking out for that one. But our last guest, Tom DeWeese, president of the American Policy Center. My respect for a man who's been doing this for four decades on this crusade he's been and his enthusiasm, his passion for that is is boundless. He puts me to shame with all that he's achieved and all that he has plans for. It's hard to pin Tom down and get the time from him. So we are very grateful he came on and gave us the time that he did. So as we end, I would like to introduce you to CatchingFireNews.com. I'll repeat that. That's dub, 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 CatchingFireNews.com. Tom Deweese. And a host of other guests, associates of us, have collaborated on this website. And they have over 300 episodes now, I think, all dealing with these issues that we are all seeing around us. Sustainability, globalization, the climate con, the works, you name it, they have it. So please do have a visit, uh, visit this website and see for yourself what these people are discussing about and perhaps you can see some commonality of about, with what you see around you in your lives in New Zealand. The short excerpt I'm going to play now as we wrap up the show for this week is from one of their podcasts called "Sustainability: Crushing Sustainability Marxism with Local Freedom Pods. I'm just going to play a few minutes out of which is something nearly 45 minutes, but hopefully... This is enough to whet your appetite to go back and listen to more on catchingfirenews.com. So from Dawn and me, have a great day, a great rest of the week, wherever you are, whatever you do. And here is Tom Deweese at his very best, telling you how to get active in your local. Goodbye.
1: We especially don't like getting involved at the local government level. This is the key. Think about this. When was the last time many of you of us really cared about positions like city attorney? And yet these are the very officials who are enforcing, have enforced in the past, the COVID-19 lockdowns, those kinds of policies dictated by governors and mayors, mayors, local. After witnessing, the current election crisis that we've been going through over the last couple of years. Don't you wish people with our values had been interested in gaining positions on the local board of elections? What is it that the head of the board of elections does? If you go down and talk to him about what's going on with local elections, he will tell you, well, the state says that I have to do this, do that. Really? What's, What's this person's purpose then? being in charge of the local board of elections. Why didn't the state just send in bureaucrats to run it? How about somebody there really caring about what's happening in the local elections in your community to make sure that every vote is counted and counted honestly? You know, we gave the left a pretty clear playing field to organize and seize control, and now we're suffering under the results. For them, No position is too small, no appointed board has been ignored. In fact, they probably helped create most of those appointed boards. That's how they are spreading the tyrannical poison. But we are not there at the local level. So how do we effectively fight to restore liberty in America? To win, we have to fight on the local level. That's where they're bringing in the policies. They know that. They know the local level is the place where they need to do this. Our founding fathers created a system of government for us that gave us the most power at the local level, to have the most influence over your elected officials. But if you're not there, if you're not in the room, if you're not participating in it, then you are not going to have any influence on them. But right in your local community, that's where they are enforcing these policies, and that's where they must be stopped. Illegal laws and regulations can be stopped at the state and local levels. Ever heard of nullification? If Congress passes legislation that is not constitutional, it is the right of the state government, of county governments, of local city governments to ignore it and not enforce it. There are uh, Supreme Court uh, decisions that, that have backed this up. and. Your local elected representatives do not have to surrender to rulings by appointed boards. These boards were not elected and they represent no one. In fact, the boards are created by elected representatives to basically be the bureaucracy to carry out policies that they have created. The boards don't have the right to create more laws and enforce it. But what are you hearing? from your local elected officials when they don't want to deal with what you're talking about. They don't want to get involved. They say, well, the board says we have to do this. Any elected official who tells you that is either ignorant or a coward. One or the other, they are not doing their job. Their job is to protect your rights. That's why you elected them. To win this fight and restore liberty, we must have courageous local elected representatives to do their jobs. Now, how do we get those? To make sure that it happens, it will take dedicated local citizens holding their feet to the fire to assure that they do their jobs. And local citizens have, as I said earlier, a lot more influence and impact on local elected representatives than you can ever have on Congress. I guarantee you, you send a petition to Congress it's not going to go very far. But it can be done. Now, how do we make it all a reality? You set a goal to turn your community into what I call a freedom pod. If you want to transform your community into a freedom pod, you must start from scratch. You must build a permanent infrastructure from which to carry on a continuous fight. You have to be there. Now, Let me give you some of the very basic points needed to organize on the local level. To win, every public movement needs a team. Most people just don't know how to get started. So let me give you some ideas. The very first thing you have to do, and by the way, let me say, you don't need to have a majority of people in the community to have an impact on it and to lead this fight. 10 or 15 well-organized people doing their jobs can do this. But the first thing you have to do is you have to know who your enemy is. You have to know what you're up against. And the way you do that is through research. Those of you who really enjoy digging down in and following one lead to the next, uh, you are incredibly important. You're very valuable because you will find the basics here you want to know who are the players down at city hall what a lot of people don't understand is that your local elected representatives are surrounded by non governmental organizations these are private organizations that have their own agenda they have they bring them legislation sample legislation they bring them the grant money and so forth and they are just there all the time. In fact, some of these NGO organizations have their own uh, members become uh, employees at City Hall to make sure that every department is run with their ideas in place. But most people don't understand that. You elect a good guy to be a member of your city council and all of a sudden, after he's been there a while, he uh, doesn't talk to you anymore. He isn't listening to you. That's because he has been surrounded by these NGOs pouring this information in him. One of the first things we do when we elect a new uh, elected official is we send them off to a national organization, the National uh, League of Cities, the uh, uh, Mayor's Conference, the uh, uh, Governor's Association. We send them there and from the podium, they're hearing these same NGOs. They're given sample legislation. When they come home, More members of those groups come in and say, hey, did you get that sample legislation? Got the money for you right here in a box too. Everything's ready. They begin to believe that this is the proper role of government. With this, this is why they are getting this stuff implemented and we aren't having success against them. If we begin to do the research, we will find who these players are. We will find the actual grants that they've gotten. The grants actually Maybe, you got, maybe the city got a grant to pave Main Street, for example, and that's what they got the money for, and that's what they think they're doing. But the grant also has a lot of small print in it, and that print that small print is giving them more details of things that they have now agreed to and they didn't even know about it. Maybe you'll find out that it says, well, you're going to have to also implement your building using certain kinds of international building regulations, certain kinds of international plumbing regulations. Maybe you'll have to put a roundabout on each end of City Hall of, of Main Street. These are the kind of things that are in there that most people don't know, and this is how they're implementing these plans. Getting down into that, uh, doing the research, every community has a comprehensive development plan. This will tell you a lot of the details of what you need to know. I'll give you one example of something to watch for. Look in York city's comprehensive plan and try to find a single word that says anything about the protection of private property rights. I guarantee it's not there because I learned years ago in fighting this fight that sustainable development, the background of all of this, sustainable development, uh, when it to put it in place, it cannot be done without destroying property rights. And so they can't put protection of property rights in there. This is one of the things where we can begin to fight, but I'll go into that in a minute. The second part of your team, the watchers. These are people, two or three people, volunteer to go to every single public meeting. You might do it in teams. Maybe you'll have some of them going to this meeting, some going to that meeting, break it up. But two or three people going to every single (coughs) public meeting, listening. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to make any presentations. Just listen and watch and take notes you do this, you begin to find who the players are. And you know what? I'll guarantee there is always on every city council, every county commission, there is always at least one who is the leader and leading everybody else into putting these plans in place. He He's the boss, you'll find. Uh, maybe he has, maybe out of a six-member council, you'll have uh, four of them that are going along with this, but two people who don't want to go along with it, but they're outnumbered. And what do they gain by trying to fight it? And they, they end up going along with it. You begin to find who these players are. This is valuable information. Do you take that information that the watchers and the researchers get? And now you bring it to part three, the agitators. These are the spokesmen. These are the people who will represent you in these public meetings. They will bring your presentation there. Now, several things that the agitators must not do. First of all, I'm I'm telling you about the background, the Marxist background, the Sustainable Development Agenda 21. I'm telling this to you so you understand what you're up against. The worst possible thing you can do is When they give you those three minutes while they sit up on high looking down at you and now you're permitted to speak for those three minutes, do not go in there and start yelling at them and saying, you're implementing UN Agenda 21. You want to see their eyes glaze over, their ears shut off, and maybe the trap door underneath you open up and swallow
0: you? That's what will happen. Don't do that. Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR Reality Check Radio.